Oh, how you doing? This is Aiden Rafter here from Ross Sports View and myself and Martin bring you the very best in sport every Wednesday from 6 to 7. We kick off the show with Premier League chat, then after that we have in the lineup with myself and Michael Cook and then we also have the very best in local, national and international sport. You can listen to us in many ways on the radio on FM 94.6 on the website www.rosfm.ie forward slash live or on the TuneIn app. And don't forget if you missed the show, don't worry because the show is also podcasted and available on www.rosfm.ie. So why not tune in to us today? The bad boys of sport. Oh 
Hello and you're very welcome to this week's Sport Pulse with myself, Aidan Raffrey and Ross FM Sports is as always kindly sponsored by Heinz Pharmacy here in Roscommon Town and on Ross FM Sports there's every Wednesday from 6 to 7 there is Ross Sports View with myself and Martin Dunn on Thursdays with myself and Ray Lennon there is Roscommon GA Memories where we look back at a match from uh, from the Roscommon's past and we discuss that and then of course on Fridays there is Sport Pulse with myself where we have all the, the best uh, interviews from the week that I have done so stay tuned with us for the next hour uh, or for the next couple of hours and we hope you enjoy all the interviews um, <clears throat> I'd just like to say that this week's um, this week's show is uh, dedicated to the memory of a, a, a good friend of mine, um, Connor Kennelly, former Scotland footballer, played uh, for the Miners in nineteen ninety in the nineteen ninety two All Ireland semi final against Armagh, where they narrowly lost to Armagh that year. Uh, he played with distinction in the county colours and also at club level for his home club Craig's before playing for St Jude's and also for Ballycumber as well as playing for um for Boston Blues as well. He was a good friend of mine. Uh we played we played together for Roscommon CBS at Hurling and Football and um you know against each other at club level and I used to meet him in Dublin sometimes when I was based in Dublin I'd run into him and have a chat with him. Um, he's a huge loss to us all. Everyone that knew him, everyone that played with him and played against him, everyone that coached him, uh, a huge circle of friends. Uh, this is his first anniversary of uh, the first anniversary of his passing. Um, happened uh, is coming up on the twenty eighth of uh, March. So uh, just while we're while during the program, just let's uh, let's take a, a moment to. Uh, to remember Connor, a, a good, a lovely person, of a gentleman off the field, um, a warrior on the field, and he'll be fondly remembered and sadly missed. R E S J Greva on him. Um, this is to you, Connor, and we hope you're enjoying it in heaven. So, uh, yeah, so I hope you uh, you enjoy what we have coming up for you today. We have some great interviews lined up. We have um, we have uh, starting off. We have Larry O'Gorman. Where we do uh, a weekly, a weekly interview, a weekly chat, uh, with regards to his memories from his playing days. Of course, uh, Larry O'Gorman, former, uh, Wexford senior hurler, and we, uh, we have, I asked, we discuss his memories of uh, his time playing, playing against DJ Carey and what he thought of DJ as a player and as a, and as a you know off the field as well so uh, that will be very interesting and it's always i always really enjoy talking to uh, talking to larry and um, there's also Hel- helen mcsherry we discuss uh, nutrition all your nutrition uh, needs and on today's interview we're covering um we're we are covering uh, hay fever and what to take for that we have league of ireland league of ireland view with uh, myself and uh, Luke McQuillan and much much more so stay tuned we'll have interviews and we'll also have some some music uh, thrown in as well and some local sport uh, local sport as well so stay tuned and next up is local sport <laughs> 
Hello and you're very welcome to Local Sport with myself Aidan Raftery and in this week's Local Sport on the horse racing front the headline winner winner all right a flooring porter and jockey Daniel Mullins on their way to uh, winning the Paddy Power Slayer Stairs uh, hurdle at Cheltenham on Thursday last so that's great local success at Cheltenham um, it's always great to see Irish cha- Irish um, Irish success at Cheltenham a prestigious uh, racing festival but uh, it's even more special when it's a, lo- a local horse or a local jockey that wins it so uh, well done to them and of course as well as that the uh, on Camogie on the Camogie front the Camogie the Camogie board have launched have launched uh, a new fundraiser Roscommon Camogie board is running a fun is running a fundraiser uh, come on come on a walk with us from april the 1st to may the 1st so uh, covid-19 has impacted on the board's ability to raise important funds to ensure that its uh, its underage and adult teams are giving the are given the the best option the, the best opportunity to represent their con- their county so if you can get involved for more and for more details get this week's uh Roscommon hurl and you'll find all the details there of how you can support it uh collect kilometers on and raise money for for your local club so that's a, a great way to uh to uh, get exercise and also to uh, raise funds for uh, Roscommon Camogie and indeed for your for your local club so uh, for more details go on to the get this week's local paper and it's on page 65 for, for more details uh, major GA debts but uh, who pays them well that's always the uh, that's always the way isn't it really um, due to due to no crowds being able to go to matches um well i suppose this, the, the fact that there's no matches means there's no matches there's no matches to insurance or anything that has to be paid but i suppose there are other other expenses that has to be paid um despite that but uh, it's always it, it's um fundraising especially uh, in these days it's very hard uh you know clear clear j is in is in trouble not just uh, not just financially but in every way possible in there in the in a few months time it will be another count it will be another county so it just goes to show you um you know what such a what sort of a how how um badly affecting how bad it is how badly um covid is affecting club not only clubs but counties or not even counties but clubs and the way things are going um, you know, I suppose you know, sport is the one thing that we in Ireland look to. Um, in in hard times, you know, it gives us something to to look forward to every week. You know, either going down the road to support your local GA club, be it at underage or adult level. Uh, you know, um, be it in the in the spring or in the summer, a championship or during the league. It's always it's that's what we look forward to going to watch matches. You know, people that uh, people from the parish representing their parish playing for their local clubs and uh what what better way to, to spend a Sunday or spend uh spend the day than to support your local club and then of course there's the National League and the Hurling League and the football championship and the Hurling Championship but also 
ladies football which has uh, taken a, a huge which has been uh, of huge interest the last numbers of years and it's great to see that and of course camogie which is uh, getting very, which is very popular as well um so it's it's just covid has has had such devastating effects on uh, on uh, ga clubs and counties um due to due to it and having no games and things like that but i think you know for players and supporters there's uh, there's nothing to look forward to now and we don't know when when sport will be back uh, locally or nationally internationally or local or national locally or nationally um you know with regards to ga or camogie or ladies football so let's hope that uh, that that improves uh you know that we that things will be back soon but of course the numbers have to be down uh sufficiently down before they're uh, they're lifted and uh, works on poon fad in local soccer works on poon fad united's grounds uh begin so um Plumfad United FC thanks to volunteers who began work to upgrade the, the club's grounds and facilities this weekend or last weekend I should say hopefully if restrictions are lifted a further a further level or two over the over the coming weeks the club will be able to carry out much needed a much needed facelift uh, to base to the base with the um, with no football at present it is an ideal opportunity to um to get a few to get a few things done and that's that's quite a good thing you know if clubs have any little things planned or cleaning or tidying up or you know developing i think this is the this is the time for it we've seen uh, craig's ga club now they're doing a fundraiser um to raise money for the development of their grounds there out in craig's doing great work um locally we've we've already seen as well with craig's rugby as well the the great work and the great developments that they've that they to the facilities that they have out there in craig's and i think you know a huge praise praise and has to go to them for their vision and not only coming up with a vision for the for the facilities they have but bringing it to fruition so um i've as as you know uh, in the last year i've spoken to Adrian Leddy, who's involved with Craig's Rugby Club and indeed uh, has many positions in Connacht Rugby as well. And um, I've spoken to him about the huge developments that's going on in Craig's GA Club and he's, uh, he's or Craig, and Craig's Rugby Club with the fine facilities that they're developing at the moment and that that they have already. So, you know, it's it just it just uh, gives great inspiration to see what can be done when uh, when people in the in the sports club come together and that's i suppose that's what in essence what um what clown fad are doing so well to well done to them uh francis hands over olympic torch to her children francis crying has always held a special place in the hearts of Leitrim people becoming the first irish female rower to represent ireland at the Olympics in 1980. Last week, she uh, chatted to Roscommon Herald uh, sports editor Ian Cooney. Uh, Ian Cooney is a, a great reporter, and I'm a big fan of of his articles every week in the Roscommon Herald. Um, about her experience over 40 years ago, the disappointment she felt at not being picked for Los Angeles in 1984, and how she has been immensely proud of her children's prowess 
since she sailed around the were around the across the bridge in Carrick on Shannon and of course um her daughter former Olympic rower Frances Crine uh was recently pictured was pictured with her daughter Tess Murta who has who is part of the Roscommon Intermediate Ladies football panel so a sport runs runs in a tradition in in that family so well done to them um of course on wednesday night um ireland were very unlucky in the um in the world cup qualifiers against serbia again they could have won um they played very well considering the amount of injuries they had they had um going into the game they played very well um i suppose you could say looking at mark travers and the goal his goalkeeping performance a lot of people uh, were very unfairly critical of him and um, he was at fault he was too far off the line for one of the goals but the other the other two goals I felt you know he was kind of he, he was left um, exposed for those two goals there was nothing he could do some people say he could he could have done this that or the other but I think you know you know they just say oh he let in three goals but I think if you if you analyze his um his performance his distribution was good his kickouts were good he was good under a high ball um he was just solid but again you have to remember that was it that was also his first competitive match uh for ireland so he did well and uh you know i thought it was a hugely a hugely uh positive um performance from them um you know they took the lead with a great goal and they i suppose you could say they, they took their foot off the gas i suppose in the second half and that's what led to uh Serbia's three goals, but then they they picked up with about five minutes to go, and they scored a second goal. And um, I think if there was enough time left, or if the second goal had come a bit earlier, maybe that they could have equalised. And to be fair, I don't think anyone would have begrudged a draw because they played well enough to get at least a draw. But look at these things work against them. Uh, worked against them on the day, and. Uh, but now they they've part that um you'd like to think that they've um I'm sure they would have learned from that, from that game and um you know they have to look forward to Luxembourg now on Saturday evening so, um hopefully it'll be great now to get some points and uh, you know they broke the duck I suppose with regard to scoring under Stephen Kenny so now um it's just a matter of getting that first win and I think with that first win if it happens, or when it does happen it'll be a huge confidence booster to the. The players in the squad and everyone involved in the team so just wishing the the republic of ireland uh manager stephen kenny and all the players all the best against luxembourg not a huge fan of of um their friend they're playing Qatar in a friendly that's an away game not a huge fan of that for two reasons i think they've ireland have had enough now with the with the two qualifiers the friendly is kind of pointless in a way because they have Ireland haven't qualified for the Euros and uh, the players are under enough pressure um, at club level. You know, some of the players are playing for clubs that are in relegation or, you know, fighting for survival that are in the relegation zone. And there's also players that are playing for cl players above the relegation and trying not to get sucked into the relegation zone. So there's a, the, these players have a lot of um, very important games in the remainder of the season. So, I mean, uh, you know, instead instead of having that friendly, maybe it would have been better off if the players could have went back to their clubs. Because um, I'm not really a huge fan of these, um, you know, a, a group of three games in a block, you know, um, because it, lead, it can lead to more injuries and then 
players will be going back to their clubs injured and it's not fair on the clubs it's not fair on the, the, the players whereas you know what about the old days when there was just one game a month um you know um that's that's the way i see it uh what are your thoughts on the league of nations is it viable is it really benefiting any club yeah it gives extra games and all that but you know they're 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 already under pressure like having a lot of games for their clubs so um it could be uh it could be a debate and uh you know so that that'd be that'd be an interesting one so let's hope that they can get a win against luxembourg and uh pat and linda happy to play their part for both club and county and of course that is of course uh pat compton pat compton and linda compton um who do huge work uh as as volunteers for both their club and county and uh you know it's great to see that they're they're getting recognized uh you know a hugely popular family from um from stroke sound so well done to them and um, parik's loyalty um is rewarded on and off the pitch of course that is a uh, parik morn from at league hurling club who has achieved who has who's proud of at league's um many achievements over the years and you know he has been dedicated to the club so fair fair play to him and of course uh era ogre's common players connor cox rebecca finan and colm lavin uh were at the launch of the their club's new fundraiser www.newcampervan.ie on friday evening last so look up look up that website if you're interested in uh in donating and if you're looking for more information that's www.winandnewcampervan.ie that certainly is a very good uh, a very good fundraiser so uh well done to era og and of course connor and uh Rebecca and Colm Lavin uh, on launching that so well done to them and uh, so that has that's the end of this week's local uh, sports news and next up we have Larry O'Gorman former uh, Wexford hurler and we he tells us all about uh, you know his memories and his uh, what he thinks of DJ Carey as um, as a player and his memories of you know how he stays in contact with him and his thoughts about uh, DJ as a person and of course uh, the many memories he had on and off the pitch with uh, DJ. So that's coming up next. Good morning. And welcome to this week's uh, Hurling Memories. And uh, yeah, so uh, we'll be going back over more more of your great uh, Hurling Memories from, from your time as, as a player. And I suppose no more so, mo- no more, no much more so than... Um, I suppose you know the players you would have played against and with. And I suppose really one of the top stars you, you would have to say that you would have played against would have been DJ Carey. What a player! What a player he was, and I'm sure you have many, many, <laughs> many memories of playing against him. Maybe not marking him, but playing against Kilkenny with him in the team and that. And uh, you know, I suppose he, he he was a magician on the ball, wasn't he? Both on and off the ball, he he was just uh, an incredible player, wasn't he? And uh, I suppose, for, what was your um opinion of him as? But well, he was a, an incredible hurler. But I mean, off the field, as regards to the type of person he he, he is, and like I, I was with him, I I interviewed him once or twice, and he was always very very helpful and. 
upgrade forgiving his time to do to do an interview as well. So he, he seems to be a nice person to to talk to and things like that. Yes, and uh, you're 100 percent right. You know, and uh, through my career, uh, it was probably one of the most outstanding hurlers that I've ever hurled against. You know, and on the okay on the big occasions when Wexford had to face Kilkenny, whether it was in the first round or the, or the second round, or maybe in the Leinster final or something like that. You know, especially when DJ was around. You know, uh, there was a lot of talk on uh, how would Wexford uh, curtail DJ Carey? You know, and how will we stop DJ Carey and stuff like that. So, uh, I'd say the players. That would have marked him through uh, through their career as well. From the Wickford point of view, I'd say a lot of them had sleepless nights the, the night before the big games, you know. So that's how much of a threat he was to, to an individual player. But uh, for uh, from a threat from a, a team's point of view, he 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 would frighten the living daylights out of any team in the country when he was in top form, you know. And you know, and people will tell you that throughout the country, you know, he he's definitely up there one of the greatest hurlers of all time, but. Uh, as an individual uh, person to meet, uh, I've met him on uh, numerous occasions. I've hurled against him on numerous occasions, but uh, I would have met him off the field as well. And uh, what a nicer man you could ever meet! You know, an absolute mad, passionate hurler, um, really dedicated to the cause. And of course, we all know he was an amazing handballer as well. But you know, a real down to earth, genuine guy. You know, no issues with him in terms of asking him to come down to do a presentation. Uh, to have a chat to a few a few young kids and stuff like that. So uh, he was one of those guys that you know you like to meet every day. You know, it's just one of those gen- genuine, genuine uh, hurlers, uh, never boastful about himself, and down to down to down to earth, uh, uh, great guy. But on the playing field, in <clears throat> he was a completely different animal. Uh, you know, he he would uh, he could destroy any team, as I said. In, in a short period of time as well, but the threat that he, he created uh, to the opposition was was left on hold, you know, and we're talking in today's world as well about the top-class hurlers that we have out there in, in today's game, but uh, to be quite honest, back in his day, when the, as we spoke about it before, when hurling was tough and, uh, you know, where you had to stand up and, and be counted for, you know, there was no place to hide, and yet uh, through his hurling career, Remember, he never got a yellow card and he never got a red card. So he had to deal with a lot of punishment that was given out to him uh, through his hurling career. But he was like one of those guys, you know, he, he'd get up and he'd go again and you knock him down and he'd get up and go again. You know, there's always uh, question marks over guys that were marking him, how will I stop him? And fellas come up with every every plan or every trick in the book to try and stop him. But you couldn't do it. You know, you just couldn't do it. Uh, he was just one of those guys that stood out uh, on every playing field throughout the country, and and he brought people from far and near uh, just to follow him alone. So it's not only the Kilkenny people were very proud of him, but Aidan, he also had people throughout the country that were following him. That's it, and I suppose really from your point of view, we say players that would have marked him that you have seen, uh, you know, defenders that would have marked him down the years. From the point of view of um, you know Wexford players that did their best on him, and we say. Any player from around Ireland, intercounty defender that would have marked him. Who are the two from each, from both Wexford and in general, that you have said that were kind of anywhere near being able to uh, keep him quiet, if that's <laughs> if that was ever possible? Yeah, well, I remember back in '92, actually, uh, the brother of Liam Dunn, his name was Tomas Dunn, who who was a great athlete himself as well, uh, a very very good hurler as well, I must say. 
but a, a tough man to mark now to be quite honest you know and if you went out, if you played a bit of t- a game of tiddly wings with him you still go home sore after it so it just tells you how tough he was and and I did see him on occasionally giving DJ the odd butter to hurl and the odd slap here and there stuff like that and you know I often said to myself if, if a guy was doing something like that to me throughout the game I, I, I'd have to, I'd be after losing my rag but, but uh, you know these guys were able to handle him but you know you can only handle him for a certain t- length of time in a game uh, as I said within a flash of a light he'd be after sticking a goal or two in the back of the net he'd be after beating you on his own so he was a guy that you had to watch full time you can never take your eye off, the, off him no matter no matter what happened if it was a water break or it was some kind of a break in the play he could end up in a different position on the field of play so he was one of the hardest guys to ever mark you know so Guys had to commit themselves to, to playing a game uh, where uh, where where if they had never hit a ball as long as DJ as long as they kept DJ quiet. So I didn't really see it down through the years. Only that game in '92, DJ was quiet. It was a drawn game in the Leinster semi-final. I remember uh, Tomas Dunn coming off the field and DJ going over and shaking his hand. And I went over to DJ and I just said to him, "I said, how in the name of God would you shake a lad's hand after he giving you so much hardship?" He said, look at it, he said, it's all part of the game, Larry. He said, I'll get my revenge in the next game. And that's all he said. Yeah. Not, in, not in the sense that he was going to come out and punish him. Uh, he was going to just put it on the scoreboard. And he did. He, he, he won it from in the replay. And, and the guy that marked him in the previous game, as I said to Mostone, um, was left, left for dead. You know, DJ uh, played a completely different game. And, you know, it's one of those games when you go out and, and someone gets you on top of you and he chokes you. You're inclined to get stuck in the mud and you, you can't get yourself out of it. But DJ... In the, in, this, in the replay, uh, he completely turned the whole game around and uh, his performance was one of the biggest outstanding performances I've seen in his career. You know, to bounce back from a, a devastation hardship that he had took in the previous week. So, you know, there is guys throughout the country that always handle him quite well, but he'd always pop up, you know, that, that, that you know, the, the column, the Dodger, you know, that was his nickname and he was able to dodge a lot of, a lot of hardship through himself. We were guys, and I'm quite honest now, guys were going out to do him Guys were going to go out and try and nail him. Uh, that was the old saying, get out and nail him and stop him. But, you know, if you look back at his career, it's not too often that you see DJ Carey. It's not yeah. too often sorry, that you will see DJ Carey on his backside or anything like that. Or it's not too often that you see DJ go down injured and stuff like that because he was tough. You know, there's no question about it. This guy was well able to handle himself as well. He was tough as nails. He trained hard. He was physically st- uh, tough in, in his own body, but he was twice as tough in his own mind. And that's why, you know, you know, you, you have to take hats off to him. You know, there's other guys that you play uh, to show up and, and have great performances. And then, you know, so you know what I mean? He, he's one of the biggest outstanding hurlers uh, that, that will live in memory uh, of the GEA world anyway. That's for sure, Aidan. That's it, and I suppose really to, to look at it too, a, a dream, a dream battle would have been, we say back in the day, would have been him versus Brian Lohan, you know, the the careful back, because because he uh, Brian Lohan was another uh, no nonsense, uh, no nonsense player, and he played hard, but he played hard but fair, but it, it would have taken a, a real top class forward to get the better of him. So that would have been. Your opinion on that be like you know, and I'm sure that they, they had many a great battle the two of them in matches, oh. both probably and and championships. But I suppose what would be the the one the one game that you would stand up for, stand out for you? Yeah, well, look, uh, to be quite honest, uh, there was a lot of a lot of top class hurlers out there <clears throat> that would have 
more or less uh, give give it her all to, to try and uh, stop DJ Kerr from hurling. It would have been a, a great achievement by an individual to go to go in after a game to say that I held DJ Kerry scoreless. You know that that I given a great performance. So down through the years, you know, it, it's it's quite hard to really pinpoint, you know, on uh, and, and who who really stopped DJ from hurling. Or who who would have really you know, captured it? Yeah, and the likes of Brian Lohan and even Jer Kush, uh, the hurl for Wexford now wouldn't be the most stylish hurler of them all, but he was as hard as nails, and he quite managed uh, DJ on some on some great occasions back in the early nineties. You know, but you know, Jer would tell you himself, like I mean, his two legs were like jelly at the end of the game chasing him around the place. So, you know, I remember marking him one year. I think it was ninety ninety four ninety five. I was marking DJ as well, and. Uh, a, a good friend of mine had rang me up and he said, did you see who you're marking uh, on Sunday? And I said, no, is, is the team, ne- name teamed? Or the, sorry, is the team named? And he said, yeah. He says, yeah, you're uh, playing on DJ Carey. He said, oh, that's great. I said, uh, I hope DJ gets plenty of porridge because he'll need all the strength he, he could get coming into the game. So I would try to keep myself positive going into the game because I knew if I was marking DJ that uh, I was going to have my hands full. And occasionally... I, he've often been shifted over onto me or I would have been shifted over on, onto him. But to start against him in, in, in a big game that day uh, was sort of something that I had to try and get my head around and get myself focused on. And uh, I did quite well up to the first 25 minutes or half. i sorry, the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes. i done quite well. And uh, would you believe it, DJ got taken off me. So it's not that I outhurled DJ Carey. It's just that he, uh, he found himself or Kilkenny the management found that he he was struggling to get into the game and they needed to move him in. So they actually put him in full in full forward. That's the day on Joe Cush. And I was hoping that I would have been moved in on him. But, you know, I'm not really a full-back hurler. So, you know, that's the day that uh, maybe DJ's confidence wasn't up where it should have been. And Joe Cush then, I, I think for 20 minutes of the second half, uh, outclassed uh, DJ Carey, which is unusual to see that as well, of course. Yeah. You know, and uh, but it was a, it was a nice little achievement for me for me to come back and rub it into my friend's nose to say there you go I told you I'd handle DJ any day so it was a bit of a slagging match. Um, I've often played the shinty hurling with him Ireland against Scotland. I've hurled railway cup against him. You know, or sorry, with him with Leinster again, Munster and Connacht or whatever, and 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 Ulster. And uh, to be quite honest, you know, he 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 was a man that stood up no matter what jersey he put on, especially with his club, Young Ireland's. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't really see him in my career. I didn't see too many fellas getting the upper hand on him uh, on many, many on, on, on some on some occasions. Uh, because, to be honest, he, he always turned up Trump. He's a bit like TJ Reid at the present moment in the in the Kilkenny jersey. Uh, even if he's having a quick game, he could still finish up with 10 points or 1-9 or 110 or something like that. So, you know, people would always like to see stars shine in every game. And it doesn't happen. But to be quite honest, uh, as I said, TJ Reid, uh, what he's done for Kilkenny for the last 10 years in terms of hurling and hurling ability, uh, DJ Carey to me was, was 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 probably another 10 or 15% better than him. So that's why, <coughs> sorry, that's why I always thought that to me DJ Carey w- w- was, the, was the spark uh, of light in, in the GA world. Um, we often went to many occasions, played against them. I've often watched them in Leinster finals again, Offaly and other and Munster title or Munster or sorry Munster championships uh, clashes with Kilkenny and any team and whether it's Cork or Tipperary or anything like that. You know, I'd have to go to them matches to watch them play. I go to Leinster finals of Wexford were in it. I go to all Ireland finals, and 
the joy that he actually put on people's faces and and stuff like that. Even even if you're not from Kilkenny, wherever you're from, and, and to see him, uh, the wizard, to get the ball at the solo 30, 40 yards, skip jump past one or two players and stick a ball in the back of the net, you know. It, it was just sort of a, a, just a, a great occasion to be there to witness what, what, what you were actually looking at. And, you know, as I said, when we were playing against them, you'd be always hoping that he'd have an off day, but it's not too often that he had an off day against anyone. So, uh, you know, it was an honour to hurl against them. But to me, to me, I would run down as one of the greatest because in today's game, fellas don't get the same hardship as as the guys did back in the early nineties. You know, so it was it was harder and tougher to play. And when when he was able to stand up to us, well, then you know he he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So. So I, I, every time I meet him, as I say, you know, I said, you you were one of those guys that fellas hate hurling against. And he said, well, Larry, there's a lot of teams I went out to hurl against that I used to hate hurling, hurling, hurling against. So he says, uh, you know, it's, it, goes and, it goes and comes in performances. And if you believe in your own ability and if you keep believing in your own dreams that you're always going to give it your best, you know, that they, that it can happen for you very easily. And to be quite honest, and we, we've seen it. Over the years, uh, top class hurlers throughout Ireland, and you know, there's there's ones that we could talk about forever and ever. But to me, DJ Kerry was the one that stood up most. That's it, and I suppose from, from your point of view, that day, um, you know, the day you were marking them, um, in, in that game, was it a case that, um, you you know, was that a positional switch for you that you you know, <coughs> coming from your normal position to we say the position that. Um, DJ Kerr was in to and keep an eye on him, but also from the point of view of marketing him, what did you do? Your, did you have your homework done on him? Was there certain kind of facets of his game or, or little flicks or tricks that you were kind of saying, okay, well, I better keep an eye out for this or he can do that Well, he can do everything, I suppose. But, do you know, was there any little things that you to keep an eye out and say, right, I'm going to make sure he doesn't do this or doesn't do that? Because, I mean, I mean, he's like a, he's like a ballerina on the pitch. It's very hard to to nail him down, as you just said there. So, yeah, well, do you feel you had like a good amount of homework done on him, and to be able to sit, to be able to, I suppose, be up against him or to to hurl intelligently against him and to be able to mark him. Yeah, well, we, we all know that he was a great guy to get the ball in his hand and to to run. Uh, uh, you know, to, to, to jink around players and stuff like that. So uh, the big thing that I had to work on and the big thing that I was speaking to some of the, the players and, and the management, you know, they said, look at Larry, you just do your job. Uh, you'll have to do a little bit more running. You have to do a little bit more chasing. But he said at the end of the day, he says, uh, once DJ haven't got the ball in his hand, he, you, you, you know, like any other player, you know, you can be kept out of the, out of the game very easily. So he says, you just have to be aware of where he's going and what he's chasing. So don't be distracted. Don't be taken into into positions where you're letting your man off. And he says, if you give him an inch, he says, well, you'll suffer and he'll, he'll certainly make you suffer, he says, and he'll punish you very easily. So you, you just have to be aware. And I think it was psychologically, uh, I just had to get my head right upstairs. Uh, as I said, I used to go to the hurling mall. I used to go through little phases in my head on things that I had to do and get right uh, before the big game and stuff like that. And, it was just all about trying to get your confidence up inside you and not really worry to worry too much because you know if you if you keep looking down at your shoelaces, well then I tell you the game will go by you before you know it. So I just have to be a little bit tough, a little bit physical, but I wasn't dirty with him 
and he'd always tell you that he, he said it was always a pleasure to mark someone because uh, someone like me because I, I I'd always give him a couple of hard hitting sorry but I would never use uh, the butt of the hurler like that. I, I would never be dirty on any player like that or he wouldn't be verbally abusing anyone I, I used to hate that myself you know and I, I'd never do it you know to anyone and I'd never liked it from anyone either so you know, just on the day itself, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was standing. Right, he was in front of me, and every time I looked at him, I was either looking at the back of his head or looking face on face to face. So I just wanted to make sure that he didn't go out of my little eyesight or out of the picture that I was hurling him. And I remember talking to Brian Cody a couple of years after that. You know, we're just talking about individual fellas playing on fellas, and he said when you get a good tight marker on someone and he's really, really, um, really wanting to prove a point to a lot of people that, you know, that top hurlers or top people can be stopped in in any game to make sure that you get a good, tight, tough marker on them. And he says, he said, that's what they plan when they come to play Wexford. He says, we, we always pick individuals to mark certain players that try and take them out of the game, he says. And, you know, he said, Wexford occasionally did that again, again, Kilkenny, man, he says. And I said, yeah, I said, I remember marking him that year, he says. He said, I know, he said, he was at the game. And I said I was a little bit worried and anxious that DJ could could win the game or, or, or could end your career very quick if he sticks three or four balls in the back of the net. And he said, "Oh, Cody said, oh no, no." He says, "He said you don't you don't very well that day." He says, and Kilkenny had to make a move. That's the day to move the back end full forward. But in the build up to the whole thing, yes, Aidan, uh, did I have a sleepless night? I I more or less did. I I can't really remember, but I definitely when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't enjoy my breakfast. I couldn't enjoy the trip up on the bus. Uh, but I just had to get my head right. We had a meeting before the game, and it was all. I wasn't just talking about DJ. Naturally, it was just about the whole game in general. Stick to our plan, and and the fellas have to do work uh, without poking the ball. Well, let let it be, and you know that's what happens in in games. You know, fellas just have to be prepared uh, to do one for the team and to make sure that you know that uh, your opponent, your opposition, that you're marking that you keep them quiet. So, uh, as the game. Star, sorry, as the, as the bus journey going into Crow Park, I, you know, I just had to get that little thing inside my head, and you know, and I know I, I was I was presuming that I was going to be marking it for the hour, or if I was if I was doing a good enough job that I was wanting to mark him for the hour to prove that I was able to live with him and, and stay with the pace of him. But you know, thankfully from my point of view, after twenty minutes, half an hour, sorry, after twenty twenty five minutes, that he he had moved away, and I I, I done a good enough old job and. I was happy enough going off, even though Kilkenny beat us by three or four points. In my own head, I was happy that I'd done a good job on DJ and that, um, that uh, you know, that I, I could be up for any challenge because he wasn't the only hurler in the country at the time that that had a great uh, style and a great uh, great dash of hurling about him. You know, so it was just one, have that one in your, in your back pocket was, it was a nice little thing and I'd always brag to my old friends that, you know, I, I, I marked him for 25 minutes and I marked him scoreless. Well, that, that's what I was just going to ask you. And I suppose over that over that twenty minutes that you marked him, was there you you didn't concede any freeze or anything, so he didn't even he couldn't even say that on you, like that you you had um, well uh, you had you had um, you conceded a free against him. But I suppose you know that that was the great thing about DJ. He was never um, you know whatever went on on the pitch. Once the full time whistle went. You know what what went on on the field stayed on the field. It didn't. He didn't carry it over. There was no nastiness, or he never held it. You know that's the type of guy he is, and I'm sure like that's the type of guy you are as well. And that that's the way it should be. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no problem after the match. Would you believe it, Aidan? I have his jersey from that match as well. And in my company, I have it here in my house. I have DJ Kerry's jersey. So you know, straight after the match, no problem. Good old handshake and. 
and the guys, how are you doing, Larry? And you know, you know, well done, or this or that, the whole lot. And you know, as I say, got the jersey, walked off, and you know, and I, I met him on the road. He was a rep on the road. I was a rep on the road. So I used to meet him a good bit here and there and have a little chat for a while or whatever. We wouldn't be giving away too many secrets, and we try and dodge each other then in the build up to the big game or that like that. So it was, it was all, it was all in good fun. I must say, you know, and I, as I said, I was only talking to him there lately, and. It was his birthday there a while ago. I was sending him congratulations and stuff like that. And he always sent back, you know, geez, we had so many great memories, Larry. He said it was it was an amazing time in hurling. Uh, and I'm talking about the Railway Cup where we, we, we go out to win. We won seven or eight Railway Cup medals together as well. So we, we I got on very well with him. And, and uh, there's not too many people in the country that I say that I ever fell out with in terms of hurling. And I always had had great a great, a great, uh, great uh, pride in what I was doing, and I always had a great, um, great friendship uh, growing up through my hurling career, and I, and I got on with, with, with all of them. But uh, no matter where you go on a hurling field or training or matches, uh, you know you're always guaranteed to get a great handshake off a of DJ and, and and best wishes and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it was an honour to hurl against them, and as I say, it was an honour to see him in, in, in the in the in the big games, but. As I say, that, that little 25 minutes. And I've often marked him after that, Aidan. I was sort of shifting over onto him uh, because he was able to get the better of someone else. And I was probably in good old form or I was I was used as a stopping ram that I, I was going to go out and, and try and stop him, you know, curtail him a small bit. So through my career, I did play on him a good 20 minutes here and there, 25 minutes here and there, stuff like that. And done okay, and there's occasionally... He never scored a goal on me, but he probably tapped over seven or eight points on some occasions. Uh, but that first 25 minutes of that Leinster semi-final, you know, it was something that I was sort of... I'd always remember it because I had to get my head right, so right for it because he was the, he was the talk of the town. He was he was the number one hurler in the country. And if you did a good enough out job on him, well, then people would say, well, you know, Larry must be too bad of a hurler if he can hold DJ Carey quite for 20 minutes or 25 minutes. That's it. But I suppose on the back of that, if you did, that that's the other thing. If you did a good enough job in him in one game... You know, maybe it's be the tactic that we say, oh, all right, you're going to be marketing again. But sure, look at us. Well, that's the nature of the job. If you, if you, if you, if you do, if you do well. Yeah, but but I, I, sorry, and after that, end, I wasn't I wasn't worried about marketing them anymore after that. Yeah. You know, there was times we played that, a game. That was from your point yeah, I I wasn't. Yeah. Because there was managers that would often come over to me before the game and say, "Look at Harry, we might have to change you over onto DJ if things are not going too well for other players or that like that." I said, "Yeah, no problem. Say I'll be well able first. So I just had to keep my level of confidence up there. You know, even though you might be biting your nails going out, say, "Geez, I hope to God I'm not going to mark DJ Carey." You know, because if he's in form and he's after scoring two two or two five already before you go over on him. And then all of a sudden, then he finishes up at three ten, and all of a sudden you see Larry O'Gorman is marking DJ sure. Jeez, how did he score three ten on Larry O? So you'd be hoping that that wouldn't happen to you, even though he would have only scored maybe a couple of points or something on you. So you'd always be crazy of it. But I, I used to love that challenge, you know. As I say, going out, um, being shifted over on. But I think when you warm up in a game and you get to the pace of the game, and I just, I honestly believe that you'd be able to mark anyone if, if, if your head is right. You know, if you get over there and get stuck into it, you know. And it did happen on uh, occasions throughout my career where when you're in good form and the manager comes out and gets a message to you to say, look, we're going to move you here, move you there. So just stay strong and keep doing what you're doing. You know, so you, you'll always, you'll, 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 your form, your dip in form, you know, it'll never drop. 
you know, you'll obviously be at a level or whatever. So through, through that, I didn't really mind. But as I said, on occasions, when you're going to mark Jodine from Limerick, I mark Brian Corkin, uh, sorry, Jodine from Cork, uh, Brian Corkin. I could go around the country and, and, and say, fellas, that I mark Joe Rabbit from Galway and all these as Johnny Dooley from Offaly, you know, all these top-class hurlers. And there's always that little doubt in your head uh, as a defender. If you make one mistake, you could be punished very easily. But if a forward had made two or three mistakes, there's always the opportunity for him to capitalise to get a, to get a couple of scores on the board. So, you know, you could be after clearing 10 balls for the whole game, yeah, sorry, for the whole first half, and your man only gets two or three and he taps him over the bar and all of a sudden then there's a word in your ear, uh, you better pick it up a bit now says you could be taken off. So it, it, it's a very tricky situation being a defender because you could be having a good old game, you're thinking in your own head and all of a sudden you're going in, as I said, at halftime and your man has got three or four points on the board. So then you're in the dressing room, you're thinking, am I going to be taken off? Am I going to be moved? So uh, I used to always try and get that out of my head before the, before the big games. I'd always try to get my head right. I'd always try to get focused. And if I can get that out of my head, well, then the less mistakes then you create for yourself in the game. And, and that's, that's the challenge I put up, up to myself, Aidan, more than anything else. You know, as an individual, you have a massive responsibility going out when you represent your county that you have to give it your living best every time. Uh, your career can be shortened very easily if you're, if you're one that's not able for the pressure. And to be quite honest, when you're in Leinster and you're hardly against Kilkenny, I think it was eight or nine years in a row, uh, there's pressure comes with every game because expectations are very high in Wexford, even though Kilkenny at the time were that 10 or 15% better than us. We never really got the, the better of them. Uh, we probably won one out, out of every five championship matches. That's it. And I suppose really, um, I remember watching the um, the documentary on them one time and uh, the one thing that stood out was uh, Gerlock Nan had said, you know the way there was this whole debate, how is it, you know, Way he was highly regarded as one of the one of the best players ever, um, yeah. to play the game. And he was always very modest. He said, "I got f- far more from Ireland than Ireland than I am giving it," which is a, a very modest way of putting it. But you know, you, you get the, it's a lot of people were very surprised then when he didn't make the team of the Millennium, and uh, then you had Gerlach uh, Nan was saying, "Well, you know, he's the greatest player and all that." But how is it when the when he was under pressure that uh, you know he, he was he was held you know against the likes of Brian Lohan like we just said that he was held yeah, yeah. in the start of the game. But I, I suppose like real hurling people and he said it himself like Brian Brian Lo, Brian um, Whelan actually said it in it. He said people see that and ju- just because he didn't score oh he he hadn't a good game. But people only hurling people would have seen you know that yeah. right he mightn't have scored. But what about what about what he created for other people? The chances he created for the other player, you know, and that that's that's the other side of it. And also, the people kind of forget all the time that he single-handedly, as Brian Whelan said again, all, all the games he saved Kilkenny and, and got them to all Ireland finals and the league finals and um, Leinster finals as well. So people kind of forget that end of it. I mean, just because you don't score doesn't mean you've had a bad game. But I suppose that's the bar that. Uh, DJ said for himself, and I suppose he was a victim of his own brilliance in many ways. Do you, do you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. And sure, you know, something that I, I'd often come out of, come out of matches um, that I've, I've went to watch, you know, not ones I've per, performed in. And you'd often hear fellas saying, Japers Larry wasn't DJ poor today. You know, he's probably poor today, but he's been great for the last 10 years. 
you know, fellas couldn't wait to get a dig at him, you know, and even the Kilkenny people themselves often felt, you know, if DJ had a quiet game, they would turn around and say, that should DJ let us down today? He didn't perform. You know, the amount of pressure that comes, as you said, with a high-class player, uh, you know, it's, it's a way above everything else uh, in terms of the, the hurling world. Uh, people always expect when they go to Crow Park, which we did 99% of the time, to see DJ give an outstanding display of hurling or or, or maybe a 60 or 70% uh, uh, performance in hurling. But when he drops below the 30% or something like that, maybe it's just an off day, not feeling well, things are not going well, the ball is not coming his way, the wind is dragging the ball to the other side of the field. There's a lot of things that you know, adds up together why a fella can have a quiet day as well. Like, you know, and, and as I say, he's only human as well. Uh, it's an amateur game and, you know, he, he has other things to go on in his own life as well. And uh, I don't I don't really, I, I never liked it anyway. I never liked fellas having a dart or a shot at fellas. You know, a fellas, a fellas especially fellas that are pure class. You know, that fella, you know, it's, it's different if you're an average hurler. And and you perform well in, in one or two big games and all of a sudden said, Oh Jeepers, Larry is having a great year altogether. And then you have a slip up and then all of a sudden they said, Ah, sure, the games have gone to Larry's head now he can't hurl anymore. It's after getting the better of him. You know, he's not able for the big the big swelled head anymore or something like that. But DJ never lived on that. DJ never thrived on that. He just thrives on performance. And as he often says, I give him my best every day and there's some days I can some days it doesn't happen for me. So you just you just have to get over it, you know. You just have to get on with it, and he did. Like I mean, that we're we're talking about at the moment. We're talking about DJ Carey being the greatest hurler of all time to me and to a lot of other people. But you know something? We're not talking about the bad performance that he ever gave because we can't remember any. Yeah, exactly. I'd be agree with you there because. I mean, uh, but even I think you know, for the likes of yourself and DJ and things like that, normally that there, you know, there are people that, that are criticising. They're, they're ones that have probably never played, you know, that they've never played hurling or understand what it's like yeah. to play at that level. Now I can't say I haven't played intercounty hurling myself, but I mean, to play, you have to really to to get a real understanding of it. You have to have, for me, you have to have played the game to understand what it's like. To be on in pressure situations in big games, and that's the then I, I think you you have more of an authority for saying yeah he did this or yeah he didn't or he didn't do that, and uh, I think maybe that you know Gerlach Nam might have been a bit disingenuous towards him. Now he was saying on the other hand, well, no, Dibs, I'm not taking anything away from him, uh, but he was like, you know, oh, of course, but, uh, you know, in fairness, in, in fairness to Gerlach Nam, he. Might, to, he 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 was a great manager, but I think you know he he did uh, he mightn't have scored on that particular day, but he, he did say, on a day that he mightn't score, he'd all he'd he'd still be setting up. Absolutely. But listen, Jerry, uh, listen, Larry, thank you very much for taking the time to do GA hurling memories with us, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. No problem, man. Okay, thanks to you and thanks to all your listeners. No problem, thanks very much. And that was Larry O'Gorman, former Wexford hurler. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? When you were eight and you had bad treats, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you? Acting like a bloody fool If you get hot Then you must get cool Bad boys, bad boys What 
So plenty to talk about this week between, uh, you know, the Six Nations, Ireland's, or, uh, Ireland's impressive win over England and also some Pro 14 um, action as well and Bundyaki's uh, suspension. But I suppose really, we, we, you know, on a great note, it, it's great to see that uh, Ireland got, uh, I suppose, to a certain extent, an unexpected um, win over England uh, last weekend. But I suppose, wh- wh- what are the areas... That, that you feel that like throughout the Six Nations that Ireland have improved improved on, and what areas of uh, of, of Ireland's game, or where was the winning and losing of uh, the match for Ireland last weekend, or the winning of for Ireland last weekend, I should say. Right. Well, I I think a lot of it had to do with the it's the the savage intensity and tenacity that Ireland displayed throughout the game. Um, they, they, I said that Ireland would have to Im- impose incessant pressure upon the English and, and it did just that and I think the, the, Robbie Henshaw was one of the players that set the tone right from the start which is scrapping for possession and he's tackling and then of course he did the, same, the same sort of uh, appetite was brought into the key battles of the game like we, we did it in all the key areas uh, whether it be at the the line out, the scrum, or the breakdown. Like in the in the scrum, you'd tie Furlong had Macovinipola in his pocket. That's no easy task. You had Tyg Byrne at his usual brilliant self at the at the breakdown along with Stander. And of course, so I mentioned about that great tackle from Robbie Henshaw. He uh, showed incredible tenacity earlier on, and all of that helped set the tone for a kind of uh, consistent consistent excellence that Ireland would show throughout the game. And then uh, oh, they were also helped by that wonderful training ground move in the, for the first Ireland try, which looks as if it had Paul O'Connell's stamp all over it, where uh, they caught the English off guard a little bit with the throw of the ball to the back of the line out, which was inches away from being stolen off us by England. But thankfully, Jan Conan got there on time, fed it to Keith Earls, who burnt Johnny May, and coasted for, and then coasted for the line. That was a superbly executed try, and I think that uh, gave Ireland that it gave them huge momentum. And uh, with the with the the tenacity and the pressure and the that they'd been showing throughout the game, when you when you throw that into the mix as well, then you have a recipe for success. And Ireland, they produced possibly the greatest performance we've seen from them in three years. So it was an, ex- an excellent performance by Ireland. And as I was saying there, just at the beginning there about, uh, you know, where, you, you know, the way Ireland at the start of the Six Nations, they were possibly the best, they were the better team against Wales in the first game, but they kind of let, <laughs> they let Wales back into it, although I suppose the uh, sending off uh, didn't help Ireland, but Ireland were still, even with the sending off, Ireland were still the better team. So they, they kind of let the lead that they had slip. 
But I suppose between then and now, where what are the areas that um, you would have seen Ireland improved on uh, from the first game to, to the game against England? Yes, well, I suppose while uh, Ireland could have got the win against Wales, the, the performance that day wasn't overly convincing, I suppose, in that we, we, we only managed to, you know, make one convincing breakthrough and that was Robbie Henshaw for Tyke Burns' try early on. I suppose Ireland, you know, they've, they've, they've varied their style a bit. They have uh, a, they, they, they've shown great improvement the last day against England. It was the, one of the things I liked most about the, the display was that uh, it was the first time we saw Ireland play some offloading, inject some of that into their game because... There had been a serious lack of it uh, in recent fixtures, not just in the Wales game, but in some of the others as well. They had the lowest offloading rate in the Six Nations and they actually managed to do some of that for a change. And uh, I suppose I would have I would have talked about, I did a piece on it there for my, my website as well. I wanted Ireland to show the Nissan principle, some innovation that excites and they, they they showed they showed a little bit more of that, I suppose, with that that line out move that was superbly executed that led to Keith Earls' try. And it's a pity that Keith Earls' second try was ruled out because it was that it was down to some uh, excellent innovation by Johnny Sexton who tried a crossfield kick uh, to Keith Earls, who did ever so well to ground the ball. Was uh, he grounded the ball perfectly? But there was. Uh, the reason for disallowing it in the lead up to that that meant it was overturned but uh, that was uh, necessarily well that was a pity from Ireland's point of view but the the fact that they thought outside the box and produced uh, an excellent cross field kick like that shows that they weren't just uh, going through the same pedestrian passing through the from player to player that we had witnessed in, in some of the other games and I suppose the line-out has been consistently very good from the French game onwards, especially. And I suppose they managed to, to sustain that. And I definitely think, you know, it's no mean feat defeating England in the scrum because England have a very strong pack. But Ireland absolutely overpowered them. And Ty Furlong, you know, has cemented his place among the Lions with uh, his winning his key battle because he came up against a powerhouse like Mac of Inapola and... He totally outsmarted him. So Ireland, I suppose, in the past, they were bullied physically by England and they were, they were totally outmuscled and destroyed up front. But they didn't allow that to happen last Saturday and it made all the difference. And lo- looking at Ireland in the line-out against England, what were your thoughts on that and how, how Ireland were in the line-out? Because as, as you know, like when, when you look at the England team, they, they kind of have very physical players like so um how do you think Ireland got on what are your thoughts on uh, their on Ireland from the line out well as I just said to you there I thought that it was consistently brilliant throughout and we saw more of that last week and it was crucial here because Maro Atoje uh, had the had James Ryan's number in recent fixtures but Maro Atoje who on his days in full flight is one of the most powerful second rows in world rugby we, he wasn't as influential as he normally was and Ian Henderson and Ty Byrne were all excellent in the line-out and, of course, Jack Conan was too and that played a huge part in the first try. And lo- looking at um, Ireland as well, you know, um, are we starting to see Ireland of, uh, the Ireland of old? I mean, like, I mean, on an ongoing basis, I don't mean like a huge change in one game, but 
you know, are, are the shoots of the All Ireland starting to be seen of what this team is actually capable of? We say a couple of years ago, we say like the, the their performance against um, New Ze- the New Zealand All Blacks, for example. Are we starting to kind of moving towards that, or do you feel there's still a lot of work to be done before we kind of get to that level? Well, I think well. I suppose what you've mentioned there is like, you know, the performance against England and the previous wins over the All Blacks. Now, the thing with them is that they were only isolated victories. What we want from Ireland is to see it on a consistent and sustained basis. That's what we want to get to is because, okay, it's ranks up there with some of the more memorable victories we have. But it's no good if these things are a flash in the pan because as the saying goes, one swallow never made a summer. And this is the best yeah. performance we've seen from Ireland since, since the Grand Slam winning year. And one per- good performance against a top nation every three years isn't enough. What we want is Ireland doing this on a consistent basis. And whether or not they'll actually do that, time will tell. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. But I suppose you, you could say that, you know, as you said, uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer, but... At least it seems that we're kind of on the on the right road anyway, but uh, it's something that will take time. And I suppose another Six Nations tournament will uh, will see where where they're head where they're heading in the as regards, you know, with the with the World Cup coming up as well. But uh, I suppose focusing back on uh, you know we we touched on a few times there about um, you know Robbie Henshaw's. Uh, Robbie Henshaw's performance on uh, at the weekend against England and. Uh, he seems to be the man that he just seems to every in everything he does. He seems to be the man that keeps this that has this Ireland team ticking, you know. And even at Leinster as well, he's just, you know, since he started getting back into the Ireland team, he's been just, uh, I suppose, the, the breath of fresh air that Ireland needed. And uh, you know, if he keeps playing like that, then uh, you, you know, God knows what what we can uh, what we can achieve. But as I say, it's early days yet when you consider where we were at the start of the Six Nations. Yes, well, uh, Robbie Henshaw for me has been Ireland's player of the tournament. Um, it, it was a, t- a close call between himself and Tyke Byrne, but uh, Robbie Henshaw just shades it for me. Uh, well, uh, Tyke Byrne might have more might have uh, more tries, there, and he might be excellent at the lineout. But Robbie Henshaw, like I was just looking at it there, he's one of the for ball carrying. He's oh, the third highest number of carries in the Six Nations. He's ability to make line breaks, to break tackles, his tenacity and aggression. And even he, he Tyke Byrne is noted for his tackling, but I was looking at Rob, Robbie Henshaw actually uh, has has one more tackle than Tyke Byrne and more dominant tackles at that. So when you consider all facets of the game, I think that Robbie Henshaw has been our best player in this year's Six Nations. And if you are picking a Lions team, at the moment, you would, you would, have, Robbie Henshaw would definitely be in there. Uh, and he, he, like, he would that he could show it last week that he could play outside center or inside center. It doesn't matter. And Ty Byrne and James Ryan would have strong cases as well. But uh, Robbie Henshaw has been the, the man of the Six Nations for me. So here's tomorrow the same from the Athlone man. That's it. And it's great to see that another no man doing so well at international level. But I suppose moving on to, uh, you know, as we know, uh, France and Scotland have their games in hand to be to be played. Um, you know, can the can France still win the, the Six Nations? Um, 
you know, I suppose that depends on the re- the, the results of the Scotland game on Friday night, doesn't it? Yes, well, essentially, what there, there's there's only two ways that France can win the Six Nations. The first is that uh, they, they, they beat Scotland by at least 21 points. And that, they, they, in that case, then, they would level be level on, on total points with Wales, but they would edge them on scoring difference. Now, the other way, I was just looking at the, there's a, another way around that, that if they don't win by 21 points or more, like let's say France win by 20 points, that would put them level on scoring difference, but then it, w- it would come down to tries scored. And if France, if they scored a minimum of six tries, but won by only 20 points, then they would have scored one more try than Wales have. So they could win it that way too. But So... I suppose you ask yourself, is it beyond the realms of possibility that France could could meet the, the above requirements? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. It is a tall order, even for a, a team with as much talent in their backline as France. But I think this is a different France team that we're, we've seen on, under Fabien Galtier. I know that they lost to England, but that was very much a flash in the pan. And they, they I know they only barely got over line against Wales, but... They were by far the better team and, you know, they, any other side could have folded when they were the door kept being shut by Wales in the closing stages. But France, you know, they eventually found a way through. And I think that uh, now they, they have enough talent within their ranks. They have enough explosive players within their back line that can put up a big score that they need against Scotland. And, you know, I think that when the, 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 when the, the stakes are high, I reckon that this is a French team that is convincing enough to get the job done. So I think that France will just about win the Six Nations this year. That's it. And I suppose moving on to uh, Bundyaki's four-match ban, would you say that the, that the punishment fits the crime or would you say that it's too harsh or too light a uh, punishment? What, what are your thoughts on the suspension? Well, I suppose I was looking at the rationale from the disciplinary committee and when I saw it, it all makes sense. I was like, uh, the maximum penalty that uh, you can get for something like this is a a six-game ban. But uh, he was... He was uh, allowed a bit of leniency of of uh, to reduce it by by two games to four because he showed remorse and because he admitted it was a reckless tackle and they 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 had a maximum allowance of uh, they could have it when they reduce it to three games but he wasn't afforded that because of his previous record because unfortunately he got a red card before for Ireland against Samoa in the World Cup in 2019 and unfortunately that came against him. So I suppose it seems I suppose it might it may seem drastic in the face of it at first at four games, but uh, when you look at when you look at the rationale behind it, it looks like a, a fair decision. But it's going to be a blow for Connacht because he is now going to be ruled out of their upcoming four games in the in the Challenge Cup against Leicester, and then in their games uh, domestically, whether that's the Rainbow Cup, which is up in the air at the minute due to COVID, or whatever kind of form the Pro 14 takes on should an alternative come into play. But to have him out for the Challenge Cup is going to be a major blow indeed. But I suppose when you look at the rationale behind the decision, it seems like a fair one. That's it. And moving on to uh, Pro 14 and, and, you know, the provinces, the provincial, the provinces games over the weekend. And uh, 
a review of uh, the Connacht's loss to Scarlets. Um, was it, do you feel that this was a game that Connacht should have won? Yes, I do, because uh, they had a 20-point lead at half time, and they ended up losing by five points. Now, as I said, the fact that this, that Connacht lost won't concern them. It's the manner in which they lost. Like They're all but guaranteed to finish second in the Pro 14, and they're guaranteed a place in Europe next year in the Champions Cup. But it is concerning that they, they were 20 points up at half time and they, and they lost by five. And also it's because it's not the first time that Connacht have blown uh, a lead at an interval. Like we, we saw that they were 12 points up against the Ospreys earlier in the season and they ended up losing by six. So it's a, it seems to be a recurring problem for Connacht. Now, I suppose I was talking to you about Connacht on last week's show and about how, by and large, it has been a positive campaign. And we they, they seem to be doing a lot of things right. But this is one thing they're going to have to fix if they want to advance to the next level. If, if they want to get to the level of Munster and Leinster, then if they're leading by that much at half time, it has to be a case of building on it rather than letting the lead slip. That's it, because I mean, and I mean that that will happen. Like better teams would put the, would put Connacht away. Like, you know, if it, you know, it, it's not a it's not a thing that Connacht can afford. Because I mean, against better teams, better teams won't wouldn't let Connacht away with that. And you know, that seems to be that that that, that was a shame when you when you consider the. Um, yeah, and even because, like you know, the, the the two examples they cited, like Scarlets and the Ospreys, they're not one or two of the better teams. Like they're like uh, nowhere near the standard of any of the top sides of the Champions Cup or the level Munster and Leinster are at. So if they're letting it slip there, then they're sure to do it against even bigger sides again. That's it, and I suppose um, moving on finally to uh, a prediction for the Pro Fourteen final between uh, Munster and Leinster. Yes, it's a big showdown that I must say I'm looking forward to on Saturday. I suppose uh, Leinster are, got some bad news during the week that James Ryan, Gary Ringrose and Will Connors are all out of the game. Now, I know you, I hear a lot of people saying already, but Leinster have such a huge squad depth. And that's true, they do. But for a game of this magnitude, they would like to have as close to a full deck of cards available. So I definitely think that even regardless of the quality of replacements, that it does it does take a small bit uh, from this Leinster side. But of course, yeah, all things considered, it does have, it does have plenty of talent all the same, and they aren't the three in a row champions for nothing. But we have seen in recent games that Munster have been closing the gap on Leinster. They should have beaten them the last time in Toman Park last January. And ultimately, what cost them that night was the two kicks at a vital juncture in the game were missed by JJ Hanrahan. Now, this time they have Joey Carberry to call on, who, despite his lengthy absence from a serious injury, his kicking has been phenomenal since he returned. And I think that Joey Carberry has what it takes uh, to land the big kicks under pressure, something we haven't seen from JJ Hanrahan, particularly in the last two games against Leinster. So now with Joey Carberry on board, I think this is a massive step in the right direction. But of course, Munster, you know, they, there hasn't been much between them. They are closing the gap in recent times. I do think as well, though, they need to improve in the line-out because this was a recurring problem. We saw it the last day against Leinster. We saw it against Connacht as well pretty recently. 
And uh, this may, you know, one thing they may have to do here is bring in Kevin O'Byrne, who has been showing good form uh, any time he's been picked. And of course, that, of course, ties in with another one of their shortcomings in the big games where Johan van Graan has made some questionable decisions within his team selections for the big games. So Johan van Graan has to see that definitely Joey Carberry has to start at 10 and that probably Kevin O'Byrne too as well. And if he gets his team selection right and Munster, if Joey Carberry can land the big kicks, there may be a lot of conditions and terms being thrown in there. But I think... Monster have what it finally takes to get over the line. Yeah, it certainly is an intriguing pairing when you consider how both the form that uh, both sides are going into with this game. So it'll be it'll be a very interesting game, and I think it'll be a very much watch game at <laughs> on the TV and and things like that. So it'll be a, a game very much to look forward to. So listen, thanks very much, Michael, for doing this week's in the light line out, and we look forward to talking to you again. More than welcome. Thanks very much, and that was Michael Cook, our rugby analyst. I don't know where I'm going But I sure know where I've been Hanging on the promises and songs of yesterday
this week's League of Ireland chat. And uh, yeah, so the, the first uh, the first weekend of the season is over and it threw up some uh, very interesting games and very interesting scorelines. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, it was great to see the league come back and uh, it to be, you know, to come back and, and to have a, a good start. I think, uh, obviously, the first game was on Friday and um, a quarter, quarter six kickoff. It was uh, draw the United up against Waterford and I think... Uh, Obviously, one 0 draw the United finished in the end, but uh, again that was uh, fairly dominated by Drada throughout. And um, Warford had different moments of play that looked they looked dangerous, but in the end, I think Drada were, were deserved winners and probably could have scored more, but uh, got that eighty-eight minute winner through an own goal from Cameron Evans. But I suppose uh, it's, it's um, I suppose it's the kind of start, the start that you would have liked, and it would be a good cons. It would it it would be a good uh, confidence booster ahead of the rest of the season because I think. You know, I think the first game kind of it's it's a defining game. Like it, it helps with confidence and a good start to the season is essential. And that 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 was very good for Drada. You know, first ba- first uh, first game back in the Premier in the Premier Division. So, um, and and I suppose it's it's about building on that now. When you know, as taking each day, taking each game as it comes. Obviously, but um, you know, you know. You got that win last weekend, so you know building building on that and trying to get more building on more wins and more wins. Yeah, no, look, exactly. That's exactly it. You know, you want to start as well as possible when you're the, when you you come up for the first times in in a while. You know, you want to you want to you want to sort of lay your marker down in the first game, and, and I think we done that. You know, I think one 0 win. Uh, as I said, it probably could have been more. To be honest, I think draw the created a fair amount of the chances that they probably probably could have took more so uh, it could have been a, a different scoreline but in the end the 1-0 win is always massive um, in the 88 minute as well it was a nice way to do it um, and it's a, it's a good start you know but in other games as well you have Finn Harps beating Bowles 1-0 I think that was a bit of a surprise to be honest um, I'm sure many people were, were expecting Bowles to go out and get a win there but it was quite an interesting lineup put out by Keith Long and, and his team you know it was a very interesting to see but uh, in the end Finn Harps get a, probably a deserved 1-0 win and um, and then Longford, another newly promoted side, had a really good start at home to Derry, beating them 2-0 um, in a game they absolutely dominated from start to finish. So a really, really good result for them. And then we had Shamrock Rovers and Pats as well, who played on the Friday, uh, one-all draw. Pats probably disappointed they didn't take the win there because they went 1-0 up with literally only five minutes to go. So they'll probably be disappointed with that. But a good point away, away to Shamrock Rovers and then in the other game as well, Sligo and Dundalk drew one all in, in a game that Sligo probably got a one. So definitely it was it's an interesting start to the season, you know. Uh, first game, like it's only one game, but um it's gonna you know, it'll be interesting now to see uh who is um gonna be sort of pulling ahead, you know. Uh, I don't think there's gonna be a, a team that will run away with the league. That's just my opinion, but I could, could be complete, I could be completely wrong. But um I think it's it's a good start for uh for for the top for the teams like Drada and Finn Harps and Longford who picked up wins and and it's a start that they'll definitely wanted. But I suppose really looking at the Bowes game, you know, um, they obviously Bowes lost and all that. Would you say that Bohemians really missed a man? Um, it's hard to tell, really. You know, it's you know they didn't start your man. Uh, they didn't start Bastian Harry, which I thought was interesting. I thought to get him in would have been really good to see. You know, he's. A brilliant player there, um, but I was surprised by that. Look, they will definitely, they they probably will miss him. Um, he started well for Shamrock Rovers. He played well. Didn't know he had a few chances as well, um, that he probably could have scored. But 
Um, you know, he'll be, he's a good player and all. He'll be missed, definitely. But um, I think Bowes have other quality players there that will that will definitely help them, you know. So who would you say would, would be the ideal candidate to replace Mandrio in, in the team? Definitely uh, Bastian Harry, you know. Um, as I mentioned there, he's, just been a, he's a quality player. Um, he, he's a player who can break up play. He can he can play as well with the ball at his feet. So he's a, he's a good, he's a good solid midfielder, you know. I think he's definitely a, he was a great signing to get him in. You can, um, so that was really really good to see for them, you know. But he didn't start, so obviously he'll want to start now against uh, Longford on Saturday. So, um, hopefully that he can and um, he can you know give them that boost because uh, it was a very disappointing start for Bowes, you know. That's it, and of course that's that's the first weekend of fixtures for the for the Premier Division, but now this weekend sees the start of. Uh, the first division uh, fixtures. So, can you take us through those fixtures and your thoughts on on each fixture? Yeah, no problem. Um, so we kick it off on Friday. Um, against it's Cork City and Cove Ramblers, a, a local derby. So a really good start. Cork, you know, new up and it's new down into the into the first division. They'll be you know disappointed with last season and all, but they'll want to start in the right way. I think they'll probably be expecting three points against Cove at home, you know. Um, but again, that'll be an interesting game. Uh, UCD as well are playing at loan um, at the same time on Friday at quarter eight. Um, at loan, done some really good business throughout the throughout the preseason, throughout the off season. So uh, they'll want to put that into good good use to start it off well, and they'll want to probably get three points away to UCD. A tough game as well. UCD a good team. So again, that's another interesting game, which I, I actually have no idea how that's going to play out. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see as as it goes on. You know, but. I think um and then Galway as well against Shelburne um on Friday at the same time is definitely the game to watch. I think um you know Shelburne were relegated last season again be disappointed but they've done some really good business and and so the likes likewise with Galway. So I think um you know it'll be that'll be another interesting game. It's very hard to tell who'll win that one, but I think Shells will uh, will definitely feel confident in themselves that they can get the win. Um, and it'll be a good start for them away, you know. And then Wexford and Cabin Tealy as well are playing at the same time. Um, you know, Cabin Tealy are, it's hard to tell with them, you know. They've they done um, good enough business, but they'll probably be disappointed. But they'll want to just put that um, behind them and, and start the season off well. Um, and then uh, Wexford as well, you know, they another team that probably, you know, they're not expecting, not expected much out of, but, but I'm sure that they'll want to. You know, aim as high up as possible and 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 don't uh, and have a, a good season. You know, but and then Sunday, um, on the Sunday the twenty eighth of March at three o'clock, we have Bray a home to Treaty United. So Treaty United straight up in the league. Um, you know, it's a it's a team definitely that will want to start off well. But Bray looking, uh, they're looking really good condition. Um, they look like a really really good team. So uh, they'll want to put that right and start it off as well as possible because uh, they they had a, a disappointing season. Well, not disappointing, but you know, they finished second and then lost out in the playoffs, but they probably felt they could have won the league, but um, in the end, uh, they didn't. So, they, they'll uh, want to start off well and, and hopefully they can uh, push on now this season, you know. But, yeah, no, look, first division is going to be really interesting this season. It's it's so hard to tell who's going to win it. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that does. And I suppose in the first division with, with all the clubs, what clubs uh, in the first division do you feel made the best? the best signings and the, the signings that can possibly make a difference to the team and uh, as well as their promotion aspirations? Um, I think definitely, you know, uh, between Galway, uh, Shelburne 
and Athlone will be up there as well. You know, they they've all done good business. I think Athlone have done really good business because, you know, it's sort of a rebuild from last season. I think they brought in a lot of new players, a lot of quality players as well. So, um, they they'll want to start off as well as possible. You know, I think they they'll want to aim up as high up on the table as they can. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how they'll do. Um, I don't think it's sort of you know a lot of new players might take a while to gel, but you never know. They might start off as you know in a in a right way. You know, but um. Shelburne, you know, done really good business. A lot of quality players coming in there, like Premier Premier Division quality players. So, uh, they'll think they can do good things. And then Galway going full time, bringing in a good few players there. The likes of Conor McCormick, real experience from Derry last season. So, uh, he'll uh, you know add real steel to the squad. So, uh, Galway, you know, definitely done good business as well. So, a lot of teams, a lot, a lot of teams done really good business. Bray as well. So, it's going to be a really, really interesting season. Um, I'd actually have no idea. There's no prediction to it. I, I have no idea, you know, I think uh, you'll get an idea from the first five or so games. That's it. And of course, now moving on to the international scene, uh, of course, Ireland have uh, have assembled now and they have three games coming up. Two of them two of them qualifiers and one of them are friendlies. And, you know, we've spoken about this before, really. I think this thing of having a blocks of three games, it doesn't seem to be really working out for them as in, like, there seems to be players play a lot of players kind of returning to their clubs injured uh, because of playing three games kind of in short in such a short space of time but uh, Ireland are out tomorrow now and there's a new uh, <clears throat> a new start for a, you know a first start for a, a new goalkeeper of course they're going to they go into this squad goes into this game with uh, having had uh, four you know four goalkeepers to choose from is that a good thing, or is there is it really necessary to to kind of bring four goalkeepers when you know that you'll only be talking two of them, or like because you can't really have one certain and then three sub goalkeepers because that that takes up that would take up two that would take up an extra outfield player space on the bench. Yeah, look, Ireland, you know, and. Um... Bringing them many goalkeepers, I don't. It's it's interesting, you know. I have to say, it definitely is interesting. Um, it's it's. I think we've been hit unlucky now with another two injuries in Cleveland Keller and Darren Randolph. You know, I think that's just. Oh, you're just. It's worrying to see stuff like that. You know. Um, I think Mark Travers is now start to start and is is set to start a net against uh, Serbia. So I'll be interested to see how he does. I think he's a quality keeper, I do, but. Um, I, I would have preferred to have seen either Randolph or, or, and Kelleher, or Kelleher, you know. Kelleher has had a real good year, has a real good year with Liverpool so far and all that. So um, I'd love to see him get, get his opportunity. But obviously with injury, he'll miss out. But, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. And then outfield, you know, you've got options. But it's probably not, you know, a lot of players dropping out with injuries and all. It's going to be a difficult task, I think. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions asked and, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. I don't. I just it's so hard to tell again. You know, um, it's gonna be a it's, it might be even a new look sort of squad that uh, that tugs out tomorrow. So, um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, a lot of younger lads as well. Um, Shane is coming back in the squad, which is a good thing. You know, I think uh, it's really good to see him back in that. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I I I I don't know. Um, I I hope you know you have to be positive about it. But it's uh it's it's gonna be a difficult task ahead. You know. That's it, because it really is. Um, you know, they've, they've been in this situ in this situation against Wales and one or two other games, and uh, you know. But I suppose when you look at the squad, 
I mean, he can Stephen Kenny can only pick from what he has available, and it's really it's really the bones of a squad, really, compared to what we'd normally have if we had a full a full fit squad. And considering considering we have three games, a block of three games, you know, the, you have to watch what teams, you know, I suppose tactics plays a lot, so that the tactics would decide who plays where and who gets picked and who doesn't, depending on the tactic that's used for each game. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of very hard, but it, it's kind of... Whatever happens, it's due to the amount of injuries. Well, if Ireland do lose one or two of the games, and I'm not saying I want that to happen, or I'm not saying it will happen, but um, you know, looking at that situation, you can't really point the finger at Stephen Kenny because he's doing he, he's only he's doing the best he can with with the squad that he has. Yeah, look, that's exactly it. You know, I think we've been here unlucky since he's come in. I think he's had a lot of different obstacles with COVID and injuries and all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, Ireland will just want to start in the right way. You know, Serbia away is always a difficult game. Belgrade, you know, it's a, obviously we'll be behind closed doors, so you won't have that hostile atmosphere. But you'll just want to, you'll want to start well. And then Luxembourg, I think as well, we're playing at the weekend. I think, I think I'm think i right, right in saying that. But again, you know, it's, it's you just want to start off well. And, 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 you know, there's definitely two winnable games there. You know, Serbia look are a good team, good players and all. But, you know, there's definitely two winnable games there. I think, um, so it's it'll be interesting to see. I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think uh, we haven't look. Let we we have to be honest as well. But I don't think we've been good enough since since Kenny's come in. I don't think the players have been good enough. I just don't think it. It just hasn't looked great at all. Um, but uh, it's a fresh start now. You know, so you'll want to just you want to hit that fresh start right and pick up your first win. You know, you want to pick up his first win for for himself. You know, with a real confidence booster as well. But um, in a good, a tough game against Serbia. I think we've played them a good few times over the last few years. So, you know, the players will know exactly what they're up against. But um, again, not a, a lot of new lads in with us. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do. You know, that's it. And uh, you, you know, you'd like to think that they'd win, that they'd uh, do well in this block of three fixtures. But you know, among those three fixtures is a friendly. And considering that Ireland. Considering that Ireland haven't qualified for the Euros, is there any merit in having that friendly? Because I mean, the pressure, the the squad is under enough pressure having the two World Cup games without adding a, a friendly. Because I mean, that they're not spoiled for choice that they can say, oh, you know, that they can rest players and play well, give other players an opportunity mm-hmm. in in the friendly, if you know what I mean. So I mean, there'll be players that you know that. Will be playing the in the previous two in the previous two qualifiers, and because they don't have the strength and depth that other that other countries do at the moment, as if due to due to injury, we don't have the luxury of resting players and giving other lads a chance. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think it's uh, I think it's madness how we're playing uh, friendly in between. Like I know it's not in between them games, but it's sort of you know why are we doing this? You know, it's just three games and. Like it's a lot of you know we don't have a, a massive squad. There's not gonna be many. You you can't rest players as you mentioned, you know. But I think it. I think it, I do think it's madness, you know. I, I just think it's a three three games. It's just between in a, in, a, in a short week. I, I think it's only what two weeks in the in the international break, if even. Um, I think it's madness to be honest. You you don't, you don't see that many teams doing that. I just think it's madness. I don't know what who's sort of behind that, but. Um, it is. I think it is madness. Uh, to, like having that many friendly, having a friendly in between the in the World Cup and that the World Cup qualifiers. So I don't. I think it's unnecessary. You're not getting much from it. 
Um, you know, so it, it definitely, you, you know, you just you just want to play your World Cup qualifier games. Hopefully, you know, give it 100% in them two games because they're the games that matter now. You want to get the World Cup. Ireland haven't had a major competition since the Euros in 2016. So, and they missed out on the Euros this year. So, they want to start, they want to, they want to get that, you know, but having these friendlies is not going to help us at all. I just don't think it's, it's, it's great at all, to be honest. That's it, because I mean, when you consider, I don't think the clubs in any country, but we say just for this sake, you, you know, the Premier League, it has to be hard on the teams because it's happened quite <clears> a good <throat> bit, like with, with these block of three, a lot of players returning injured. And, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of it myself, but personally, I think that maybe it should be looked at because, I mean, is, is the... Um, is the Nations League of any benefit really when you think about it? Yeah, someone, a team can win can win it and this, that, and other. But it is a lot of extra games on top of qualifiers and the odd friendly as well. So not not to mention not to mention the Euros or the or the World Cup, you know, the year of the Euro European Championships or World Cup Championships. So, you know, it's a it's a lot of inter- it's a lot of extra games on the player. It's you know not alone are they playing for their club, but then they've three games as well. So it's on average it's about six or seven or eight games onto on their onto a player's an average player season. Well, look, that's exactly it. You know, um, look, players are humans as well. You know, they they don't they don't have it in them to play three matches in in a in a short space of time. You know, um, look, you can play two, no problem, I'm sure, but. It's just that extra game and it's a friendly as well. Players are going to be lacking the motivation, to be honest. And look, a lot of these teams, like it's March now, you know, a lot of the teams like coming into their business, a lot of clubs in England and all that are coming to the business end of their season, you know. A lot of teams are fighting for promotion, teams fighting to stay up, um, win leagues. So players don't want to be going back injured. They want to be a part of these sort of things. So I just, I think in March, three friendly, three games and one friendly between, Three, three, you know, two World Cup qualifiers and then a, a friendly is just, it's just madness. It is. I think it's madness to be honest. Um, I think that's just so many, too many games. Players return, return injured, but also to, players would return tired and all that because three games is a lot in a short space of time, and they don't seem to be. There's no chance for recovery when they're on international duty. Like there could be a, a gap of what one or two days between each game, and you know it is a demand. Like I mean. They're they're with their country now. They'll be back. They'll be players will be back in the Premier League, you know, fr- Saturday week or something like that. You know, so it's uh, and really player managers would say, oh well, is he able for this game? Are these players able for these games? This game this weekend, you know, so they might end up having to rest them or something. And I mean, that's like especially if you're in a, a team fighting relegation, that that really lessens. Uh, lessens their options doesn't it yeah look especially in the times we're living in you know it's it's uh everything is just so demanding um between covid and all that so i think for our players it's difficult as well you know um going into different countries and all and, and you're getting it's a lot of a lot of protocols and you're following so much different things and it's just it's it's complete you know even even to have an international break during sort of what's going on at the moment i, I I'm not mad about either, but you know, obviously, World Cup isn't far away now. You know, next year or whatever. I think it's next, next, next November is when we're playing. Well, when the World Cup begins, but uh, it's it's obviously different to any other year. But um, it's 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 difficult. It's it's difficult to tell. I I don't 
I don't I don't I don't understand how how we can play a friendly as well as these two World Cup qualifiers. Don't mind playing the two World Cup qualifiers. You know, you're playing one on on the Wednesday and then you're playing again on Saturday. You know, you're you're traveling. I think Ireland are away as well, and then both games I might be right in saying, but I think um Serb you travel to Serbia and then you you travel to Luxembourg. So, um again, you know, there's a lot of traveling in between that as well. So, uh, it's it's difficult on players as well. You know, it really is. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much, um, Luke, for doing uh, League of Ireland chat with us and uh, obviously going back over the league games in the in the for, in the first of it or in the Premier Division and review previewing the uh, the first division and also looking at the uh, the international games and hopefully you know tomorrow if if, Dar- if Ireland can get a, a good start to the three games uh, you know a win uh, I suppose really with the squad available. It's kind of a, a lot to ask, maybe, and that, that's not being condescending to them. But, you know, consider they're so ravaged with injuries, you know, it might be it might be hard to see it, but hopefully they will. And uh, hopefully Please we'll, God, yeah. we'll talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks very much. And that's Luke McQuillan, our League of Ireland analyst. See
Hello, Aiden. Hope you're keeping well. Hope you're keeping well, yeah. All's good, all's good, and welcome to this week's Riscom, or welcome to this week's J Memories. And just to let the listeners know that on today's show, myself and uh, Tommy Dowling, we are discussing the 1995 All-Ireland Senior Football Championship final between Dublin and Tyrone. And like the previous All-Ireland finals that we've discussed, another home dinger, um, because uh, th- these two sides have met several times uh, since since 95, and they have been, uh, there has been no love lost between both teams, and uh, all very uh, top, qu- high-quality games between the two sides. They have indeed, and I suppose really, if you look at 95, Dublin would have been hurt the year before, being beaten by been beaten by Down, I suppose. Prior to that, they would have been beaten in 1992 by uh, another Northern team, Donegal. But I still think that Dublin wins this final and they went in a, a strong favourite, you know. And, it, you know, it was an era like that Dublin, they were, they were crying out to, to to win an All-Ireland final because prior to that, Dublin had won an All-Ireland since 1983 and they won the final in 84, 85, 92 and they, and they won the final in 94 and 95. So, look, they were looking for victory. That's it. I think really, when you look at it that way, uh, you you know, like like you just said, they were in it in ninety one, they were in it in ninety four. Uh, you know, it was really, uh, it was really, you know, you could you could feel an All Ireland coming for them. And I, I suppose to be fair, to a certain extent, uh, nearly kind kind of like kind of like uh, Mayo, except Mayo didn't win an All Ireland, but um, you know, Dublin were nearly due in All Ireland at that stage with the amount of. Uh, you know, considering that uh, they have been in two All-Irelands before that and been very close. So I suppose, you know, to a lot of extents, and I know there's a lot of anti-dubs <laughs> out there, but, you know, in fairness, um, they were due in All-Ireland and they, they won it deservedly, but they didn't win it too handy. I mean, um, Tyrone made it, made, made it hard for them that day. It was, and I suppose really to be the final to be remembered about by Charlie Redmond. I mean, he got a goal after twenty-five minutes, like, and it gave Dublin a four-point lead. And I suppose if you look at if you look at, the, at that day at halftime, Dublin went in. They led from one eight to six points at, at halftime. And I suppose it be remembered of the final by Peter Canavan, like he got eleven points that day, and ten of them came from freeze. And I suppose really that day as well, Charlie Redmond got sent off, and he wouldn't leave the pitch. And I suppose it was a final when you look back to be remembered for all them things, you know. That's it, because I suppose when you see a team like Tyrone uh, and you, you see a player a player like Peter Canavan, I know he's only one player, but he, he's like a, he's like a magician when he gets the ball at his hand. Like, but like, I mean, it could be a high ball into him, it could be a low ball into him. No matter what ball you play into him, he'd make it look like a good ball and he, he could always do something with it. So when you consider that Tyrone had a player of that quality, albeit one player, well, they, they had several good players, but... He was the he was the main man there. Um, he was. I mean, if you if you to took him off, him, the... to have him to play against him, and to think that they still came out on top despite uh, despite his quality, and I suppose the physical nature of Tyrone's game as well, and they came out on top. They were, they were Dublin weren't bullied at the same time. Oh no! But I tell you, if you look at the Dublin team, they were very strong that day. But I mean. In fairness, if you took if you took Canavan off of Tyrone that day, like he got all their scores except that Jody Gormley got a point as well. But it was a very controversial in the nine seconds that day because I think Canavan he touched the ball on the ground and Sean I think it was Sean McLaughlin who got the point. They, they, they disputed after they said that they said they were cheating all the All Ireland final and stuff like that. You know they went down by a point. Like, but 
you know, I suppose if you if you if you look at Dublin that if you look at the Dublin side that they like they had they had they had John O'Leary, they had Paddy Moore, they had Kieran Welsh, they had Keith Gallivan, they had Paul Curran, they had Keith Barr, experienced players, Mick Deegan, they had Paul Breslin, Brian Steins, Jim Gallivan, they had Desi Fowl, Paul Clark, Mick Gallivan. They had a man who was who the whole country were talking about that time prior to the final was Jason Sherlock that day. He didn't score that day, and you had Charlie Redmond. So I mean, if you looked at if you looked at um at, at, at the Tyrone set up that day, you had Fergal McCallum in goal, you had Devlin, you had one the Devlins, he, he was number two, you had Chris Lawn, who was brother played as well, you had Fay Devlin, you had Ronan McGarty, who I think is a brother in law of, of Peter Canavan, you had Seamus McCallum, you had Sean McLaughlin, you had Fergal Logan, who was the manager today, you had Jody Gorman, who got the other point today, you had Kieran Carr, you had Pascal Canavan, a brother of um Peter Canavan's you, you had Kieran Lachlan, you had Dinky McBride, and you had, you had Sean Lawn. I mean, they had a they had they had a, they had a good quality side, like you know. And I mean, they were hunger for they were hunger, and they just come up that bit short that day. Like I mean, Dublin seemed to be the more hungrier team that day. But I mean, at that day, Dublin went in one eight to six points to half time. Dublin only came out in the second half that day, like, and they only they only scored two points in the All Ireland the All Ireland final. The, the, the final score, I think, was one ten. To twelve points, it was a, it was a low scoring, a very low scoring game. It was that's it, and I suppose really to those, um, you know, to some people that maybe saw the game that day and you know wouldn't be as analytical watching the game. You, you just tu- you just touched on it there that Jason Sherlock and quite rightly as you said, um, you know he came on against me in the Leinster Championship to make his debut, or was it, no, Leash, wasn't it? Was it Leash, or was it um, Mead? Anyway, uh, no, I think it was Leash, but uh, he came on, and, uh, you know, he played well throughout the championship, and, uh, you know, even though he didn't score that day, you know, when you, if you actually analyse the game, and just kind of keep an eye on him, he may not have scored, but he still, ca- he still caused um, the Tyrone defence an awful lot of worries, because... You know the 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 sort he's a, he's like a young gun and the quality he has and the skill, you know a very tricky guy to kind of keep quite more or less kind of like Canavan. But uh, you know even though he didn't score, he still gave them a, he still gave the the Tyrone defence an awful lot of trouble. And uh, I suppose as well as that he mightn't have scored, but he, he set up scores for other players as well. And maybe that's something that maybe other other people might some people might have spotted it by looking at the game. Yeah, he was doing a pile of work off the ball that day as well, a pile of passes and stuff like that and bringing players into play. Like, But I suppose really, like, if you look that day, Charlie Redmond got 1-1 and Daisy Fowler got four points. Paul Paul Clark with a fantastic season that season, got two points. Paul Coven, Keith Barr and Jim Gavin got a point. And I mean, if you look at it that day, it was a low score in the final. But I, th- I, I think, not being biased or anything, I think Dublin deserved that final. I think they, I think that Dublin were the better side, you know. But I think, I mean, Tyrone, they had only two scores that day, like, I mean, Peter Canavan, he 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 kicked ten of the of the eleven scores, and I think the other score came from Jody Gorman. I mean, to win an All Ireland final, being truthful to you, would want maybe five or six forward score to be truthful. Yeah, but I, I think really, you know, both sides had quali- had quality def- had quality defenses really, and uh, I suppose for Dublin, you, you know, the it was uh, in fairness the the one that 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 year, you know, but. To, to be fair, you, you know that they, they had the they had the quality and they really needed to uh, they really they really knew how to keep this this Tyrone defence quiet, didn't they? Oh, they did, yeah. They had the quality in fairness and how they had the firepower in fairness. I mean, 
even that day, you had Vinnie Murphy come on as a sub, like Dublin had some fantastic players there who prior to that played in all the final, and you know, and they know what it, what it was to take. Like, and I mean, if you look at if you look at if you look at, at Tyrone, Tyrone hadn't been in a final since eighty since since prior to that, since nineteen eighty six, so none of these players would have been would have been would have got a taste of that. Like, but I mean, it was it was it was a, it was it was new to Tyrone that day as well. Like, and they came down that day, and they were seriously on the But I mean, did they? They, they they came up that small bit shocked that day, you know. If you if you look back at hindsight, they might have been a bit unlucky. Maybe they, they, they deserved the draw that day. Only that Canavan's pass in chip that 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 was that built up the score. But I mean, in fairness, Charlie Redman got sent off that day for an off the ball incident. But it'll be it'll be probably remembered as a final, I suppose, really the Peter Canavan final, and he just came up shocked. And I mean, in fairness, look, he deserved he got a medal a couple of years later on Peter Canavan. Look, and what can you say about Canavan? Look, he probably I probably think he's probably the greatest Tyrone player of all time, and that—that's my opinion. That's it. And I suppose if you—if you were to—if you were to say the best, one of the best defenders of all time for Tyrone, you'd have to say Cormac McInnellan or the Marshina. But I suppose for, from a Dublin point of view, would you have said that maybe, you know, Dublin would have learned from the mistakes of the year before the All Ireland year before, and that they rectified some of those mistakes, and that's what won it for them. And if so. What things did you do? You think went wrong for them in '94, and that went right for them, uh, you know, in '95. If you were to compare the two All Ireland finals, yeah. Well, I suppose really, I really, if you look at it in 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 '95, I suppose they went in they went in that year and they let they went from one eighth to, to six points, and you know they only came out in the second half and been trouble. So they only scored two scores. That was a, that was a very low score for 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 a team to win the All Ireland final that year. They only scored two points in the second half that year, you know. And I suppose prior to that, from the year before when they were beaten in the final, I think they came out that as well, and they, they were low scoring in the second half as well. But I think Dublin were a lot more clinical in '95, you know. And I think you no, know, I think that um they had their homework done, you know, and they were marking and you know they were defending for their lives and fairness. Like I mean. They, the Dublin backline was outstanding that year on Furnish, you know, and, I, and and they kept Tyrone out, you know. And there wasn't there wasn't too many changes from the Dublin starting team in '94 and the Dublin starting team in '95. Sure, there wasn't. I don't think there was too many changes to you to be true. So I think really the only change was that um, <clears throat> there was a DC he didn't start the Jason team. Sherlock maybe. J- I think Kieran Welch and I think that 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 Jason Sherlock were the two new starters. I think. Who was a guard based in Dublin? I think he he got injured. I think as well. But I don't think there was that too many. There wasn't that you know. I think Dublin had this had the same team with their their boats. You know, to be truthful, sure. They, they were they, they weren't really like like I think like that. I think the '94 team. I think they had. I think they. I mean, DC played in '94. Um, I think Brian Stein, McDegan was there. Vinnie Murphy did. Vinnie Murphy didn't start the '95. So. He was a sub that day as well, you know. But I think other than that, the team was okay, you know. Everyone, everyone else did. You know, the only changes was DC and and I suppose really it was um, Jason Sherlock. And looking fairness, Jason Sherlock brought Dublin to where they were in the final that year. In fairness, like he was outstanding throughout the championship that year. To be true for Joe. That's it, and I suppose really looking looking at the team as well with John O'Leary, I think that was nearly. One of his last seasons, really. He kind of retired not too long after that. But what, what a guy to have had in goal. Ne- nearly like Cloakston, I suppose. Ah, he was a fan- um, fantastic keeper. 
Yeah, and uh, he, he would have been under, Tuxton would have been under him, really, wouldn't he? He would have been his understudy. So, I mean, when he started, I think, in 2000, he, you know, he had served his apprenticeship on the, be- on the bench and probably getting league games and different things. But I think, you know, back in those days, the National League, you know, teams tended to put out very strong teams. You know, they like in the early 90s or something like that, or maybe 80s, that, you know, some players would be kind of off for about maybe the first half of the league and then they'd come back, you know, coming up to, towards the start of the championship just as to, to get some game time before the championship. You know, it was kind of like that. Um, but now, now I think in the National League and that, they're kind of, it's, it's kind of different now. They're, they're uh, getting, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, giving lads a chance now the league is. But, you know, it's it's very interesting the way the way all Ireland's were back then compared to now, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. Dim days, as you said, look, the National League, if you're stopped in 15, and the 15 that you probably had in the National League that year were probably your 15 for the championship. But I suppose really that day, I suppose, if someone said to you, look, 1995 Dublin or after winning the All-Ireland final, that they wouldn't go to another final until 2011. It was a long time to be true for you, but I suppose <coughs> Dublin football after 1995, they've been through transition and so did Tyrone in fairness. And I mean, the 90s, if, if you look at the 90s, look at the, at the teams that won the All-Ireland in the 90s, like none of them won two in a row. I think, I think it was a different era for football. I think it was a very good era for football as well. That's it, because, um, you know, really, when you when you look at that period of uh, that those barren times for Dublin football, you consider the greats that that were that, that played for Dublin between ninety five and twenty eleven. I mean, Kieran Whelan, for example. That's right. Didn't get to win in All Ireland. You know, several several players that uh, played well that that played brilliantly for for Dublin and didn't manage to win in All Ireland. But that that's football at that level, though, isn't it? Oh, that's football, and that's the way the game changes. You know, I suppose really, if you look if you look at down back then, they, they didn't come until twenty ten to win All Ireland. You look at you look at Donegal. You look at Derry in fairness, like, you know, you look at the other teams, Galway, you look at Meath there, you know, I mean, it was a, a great, I think it was a great era for football. And I think, you know, I mean, it, 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 it was um, a different era back then and it was a different era in the 2000s and football is different today as well, you know. So I think it, it was very interesting to go look back at the 90s and to go to the 2000s and to look where we stand today. Look, and you look, you still have Dublin, like, I mean, Dublin were going for seven in a row this year. Like, and little did you think in '95 that Dublin would come out and win the All Ireland and had to wait for 2011. But then they're unstoppable since. That's it. But I suppose the day will come. It's hard to imagine, but the day will come when they won't be where they where. I suppose that that'll peter out, and so another team will come in. And I think really the way I suppose really, if you look at last year's championship. Everyone thought that if anyone was going to give, if anyone was going to give them a give Dublin a competition in the championship, it would have been Kerry, and then we 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 see what happened there. But I think you know that that was just kind of one of those things. But Cork aren't too bad either, so there'll be you know when. But as as I said, this year now it'll be interesting to see see where it happens. But um, I suppose look, looking at the Kerry team now for this year, where where do they need to improve? On you know, well, like looking at the day, you know, the night that they were bet by, by Cork. If they if they are to to take on Dublin and be be Dublin's main competitors for the championship this year. Well, I, I think being true, but I think Peter Keane really needs to have a serious look at what happened last year against Cork. I mean, in fairness, he made he made decisions that day himself from Mars Fitzgerald. You know, they put players out of the, out of the position. 
in the second half, you know, when they went in a half time and came out, he made no, he made no, he, he made, he made no changes. I mean, in fairness, like we'd, we'd learned not from the year before. I mean, Dublin, we should have, we should have took out Dublin. <clears throat> Dublin were the only man. We should have took him out. They should have never went to replay. We came back last year. We, we sailed through the, we, 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 we sailed, we sailed through the, the National League and been two for two. We weren't really tested. I, and I think it was a huge kick in the teeth to carry football that day to go down to Cork. I know disrespect to Cork, like Cork will always give Kerry, Kerry a chance, like Cork if mine was coming through and seeing us coming through. But I still think like the Kerry have, <coughs> have, have a few top quality players like their likes of, you know, they have Sean O'Shea there, they have David Clifford there, you know. I mean, they have young O'Connor at centre field, you know. So, I mean, they have a couple of young fellas coming through there on the range of minors as well that will break through in the next couple of years as well. But I still think that Kerry will always be a threat to Dublin, though, because, I mean, I, I, I think Dublin are only hairs better away from being beaten. And I think not last forever. Like, I mean, there's a period in every, every sport where someone dominates it, but... I think, in fairness to Dublin, look, this has probably been the greatest domination of all time that we've ever seen in the history of, of, of the championship. But I still think they're, 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 they're there to be beat. But in fairness, they have a lot of players coming through underage in Dublin as well. And I suppose, look, it's up there every individual county and up there every manager. Like, and I mean, last year, it was a knockout system. Kerry went out last year. There was no backdoor system. So this year, look, Kerry have an awful lot to learn, look, and they have a lot of players, look, and in fairness, look, hopefully that we can come through months and come out to the other side. But look, in the next few weeks, we'll tell it off a lot about the Kerry team and about Dublin as well. But look, Dublin are worthy favourites to go through and to do to do seven in a row. Look, and who's going to stop them? That's the big question. That's it, because I suppose from a Kerry point of view, um, you know, for club level, the, the question I would ask would be, you know, are there any players that you would have seen in the Kerry Championship? Well, hard to kind of see unless you were watching on the, uh, you know, the, the streaming, streaming, the matches being streamed. But from, from the last year's championship in Kerry, are there any players playing a club level that you feel were, that weren't in the county panel last year that maybe could be brought in this year to give them that extra spark that they need this year um, to play in the Well, I, I thought being true with you last year that, that David Clifford's brother party should have been using an awful lot more as well, you know? I thought it was it was late on when he got a, when he got a run out yeah. to be true with you, like, I think we have young fella coming through there on the sacks as well. He's Sean Quilter, he's a young lad. He's, he's a big, strong young fella. Look, he was very good in the county championship for us. But I look hopefully long that maybe he'll get onto the panel and stuff like that. I mean, the problem with the Kerry setup, like, it's probably harder to get on the team and probably harder to get off the team sometimes. But I suppose, look, Peter Keane and Mark Fitzgerald, they know what they know what they're doing. Look, we've won five champ, minor championships in a row. Look, we, we, we've, we've picked very little players out of it. Like, I mean... In fairness, look, with Jack Barry centre field there and Devon O'Connor, they're young players. But I suppose, really, look, in fairness, in hindsight, look, we have a couple of old players too there as well. Like, we have David Moore, like, we have Tommy Welch, look, and I think they're going to stand this year, like, so. And I mean, you know, we have Paul Murphy, no captain, the captain, like, we have Peter Crowley, like, I mean, we have old players like, like Paul Ganey there, like, so. I mean, we have a good mixture, like, but I suppose, really, we're, we're, we're sort of caught between a rock and a, and a stone, really. Like I suppose, really, you know, I suppose it's, it's it's the players that we have for the last two years. I suppose, really, they'll be on the panel this year as well, you know. That's it. And I suppose going back to uh, the nineteen ninety five All Ireland final and the two teams, they would they they as as happens nearly every year, the the two All Ireland finalists usually dominate the all-star teams but if you could take us through the all the all-star team for 1995 well, football it, team in in 1995 uh john o'leary was in goals you got an all-star you had 
Skolien from Derry, number two. You had Mark O'Connor from Cockburn got the number three that day. You had Faye Devlin from Tyrone got an all star. Paul Cullen, who was fantastic that year, was at number five. You had Keith Barr, who was at number six. You had Stephen O'Brien, who was number seven. You had Brian Steins at the field at number eight. You had Anthony Toll, a fantastic player from Derry. You had Jared Fallon from Galway, who got number 10. You had Desi Fowl, who got an all star at number 11. You had Paul Clark from Dublin, who got number 12. You had Tommy Dowd, the fantastic player from Meath, who got 13. You had the Peter the Great Canavan at 14. And you had Charlie Redmond at 15. You had seven from Dublin, two from Tyrone, two from Derry, two from Cork, one from Galway, and one from Meath. And I suppose like we always say every week as well, when you look at that all-star team, you know, you would say it would be very hard to uh, to argue with that team because they're all top quality players. But, you know, in your in your mind, what would, would have been the lucky, the unlucky players to miss out on an all-star play, on an all-star, a place in the all-star? Well, I suppose really, um, you see, I suppose really, you know, a, a lot of the... Of the um, of the All Stars, I you can disagree with it or agree with it, you know. But you know, I suppose really, I suppose, you know, there's some people say it's you know, I like it's the winning side that gets the that gets the most All All Stars every year, like. And I mean, I suppose really, like being truthful to, you, I suppose really, I thought maybe that um, McGarrity should have got an All Star that year. I don't think he got one that year. You know, I thought he was, I thought he was, he, I thought he was very good that year. That was that. That's my opinion. All being true, but you like, but I, I thought that um, you know, I suppose if you look at it, I suppose Jason Sherlock, I suppose really that year, he probably wasn't lying to get an all star, but you know, I don't know. I think that the, the, the forward line was so strong, you know, that the all stars that you like, you had Peter Canavan, like he wasn't going to keep out Peter Canavan or Tommy Dowd or, or you know. So I thought really like just maybe one or two will have them, but really. That's it, because I suppose really, if you if you look at Jason Sherlock, there he he did have a great championship, but really, you know, it's it's kind of based on how many seasons you're, you've played as well, like you know, and that was his first season. And even though he had a great season, maybe some people would have said, right, well, we'll see how he gets on in the next season. And uh, I think that was his best season Watch for that. Dublin, really. Wasn't it? He, he had a fantastic season that year, on fellas. And I mean, I suppose, like, I suppose, you know. The all stars are different through the years. Like I mean, you you look through the years. There's some great players haven't got all stars, and some players. You know, personally, I think myself, it's probably a good thing to award the players every year. Look for their great for, for what they're doing with the football and their given commitment and stuff like that. But it can be unfair sometimes the all stars because I mean, there's some there's I mean there's so many picks from different counties at different positions. So I mean, it's 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 hard not to do the fifteen as well, really. But would would you say it uh, when it comes to the All Stars that there's maybe a certain uh, a certain amount of politics as regards you know because you you could get a, a, a we say a player that played brilliantly for maybe as as I say an inverted commas lesser team oh, lesser could, like, county team and would have played I mean, like as well would have played just as well as a bigger as a bigger player on a bigger team but because you know you know so that, I mean that that's kind of unfair as well I mean. You look at Longford now, in fairness, the last couple of years have been doing fairly well. And 
there's a number of players you could pick on that team that have played really well, just as good as any oh, Dublin player or Kerry of course, player. yeah. And I mean, if you look you know. at it, you know, and they deserve an all star. And I think being sober too, like, I think, like, I mean, they're given one for each position. Like, I mean, I suppose really, like, Peter Canavan that day in the all Ireland final, he was outstanding, he was outstanding through the championship that year, I suppose. Look. He was nailed down that All-Star, I suppose, knowing if that number was going to get the, the, the All-Star. But there's players with the same number of jersey on him throughout the championship that year that would have played well as well and deserved, deserved I suppose, a bit of recognition. But I suppose, really, it's their pick, I suppose, really, I suppose. But the weaker counties, I think, they should be awarded with something as well, you know? Maybe there it should be, be an All-Star. There should be, you know, there should be different... There should be something like, like, like for people like... not. I mean... In the last couple of years, if you see the All Stars, like it's the winning team that's dominating the whole time, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much, Tommy, for doing uh, GA memories with us this week, and we look forward. To no problem, Nate, and I hope you're all staying safe and well up there in Roscommon. I look forward to speaking to you next week, and thank you very, very much. No problem. Thanks very much, and I hope yourself and your family and everyone down in Kerry is safe as well, and hopefully. Before too long, we, we, we can get through this and things will, uh, some of the restrictions will be starting to be lifted. But, uh, yeah, so that's great. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you very, week. very much. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was uh, Tommy Dowling, RJ Analyst. You can survive So when you feel
Hello, and you're welcome to this week's um, nutritious, the nutritious uh, podcast. How are you this week? Hi, Aiden. I'm good, thanks. Um, how are you doing? You you did very well with the walking. I I saw the the hundred miles in a month. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's it. I completed that. That's the Autism Assistance Dogs Ireland, and uh, next oh. month I'm doing the Bernardos uh, 30, 30, 30 miles in a month in uh, April for Bernardo. So keep keeping keep up anyway. <laughs> that's brilliant. I, I must uh, I must give you a contribution, but um. Are, we're going to talk about hay fever today and uh, um, just supporting the immune system, but um, but you don't suffer from hay fever yourself, do you? I don't now, personally, but uh, it, it's actually quite a common condition uh, in Ireland. There's, uh, you know, especially in the summer when the, when the pollen levels are high. And of course, yeah, yeah. kind of uh, another condition, well, it's it's slight, slightly different. You know, migraines as well are, are uh, Kind of very debilitating as well, but hay fever is uh, hay fever is the main one at summer during the summer, or kind of from this time, I suppose, this time onwards. I suppose, it, really, it, or, it, it, you know, start, yeah, once the weather starts to get warmer, it kind of hits people around April and um, early spring when you know grass pollens are at their peak, and um, quite a lot of people suffer from hay fever and um. It affects about between ten and thirty percent of the population, so um, it, it it is quite a, a an uncomfortable condition. But there's lots of things you can do to ease the symptoms, and indeed support your immune system, which we're all very keen to do at the moment um, uh, and ongoing. Um, but um, yeah, uh, the, the one thing that is a bit of a concern about hay fever is that it's a sign that your immune system is struggling. A bit, so it isn't something that you want to just struggle on with and suffer in silence. Um, you do want to do something about it, and you know the symptoms. You got the sneezing, you got the itchy eyes, you got the coughing, the sinus pressure, sore throat, feeling run down. So th- th- there are similar symptoms there to to COVID, but um, most people get hay fever. They get it every year, so. Just um, but there's lots of things you can do. So we'll have a we'll have a chat about them, Aiden. That's right, yeah. But there, there's also kind of another link if you if uh, it can be, I suppose, exacerbated if you're mm-hmm. uh, someone like myself that has asthma. Now I don't normally suffer from hay fever, but if you suffer from it, hay fever and you have asthma, it's it's, it's a, twice the trouble. But I suppose the double. Um, we we can cover the different. Yeah, we we can cover the different, uh, I suppose, the different types of treatment or things that you can get to help with that. Yeah, we see most people go straight to the GP and they'll get an antihistamine, but there's lots of natural antihistamines that you can take. And you being an asthma sufferer, um, very important for you to be optimizing your vitamin D levels in your um, in your blood. Vitamin D is brilliant to help reduce um, asthma, and indeed, it's a natural, really powerful natural antihistamine. And um, vitamin D should be on everybody's radar at the moment because it's very, um, very good at supporting the immune system and helping protect against complications of COVID. Now, not all vitamin Ds are the same. In Eden, in the Magic Spoon, we love farming or D pearls. And the reason for that is that um, they have a really high IU. The one that we would recommend is the 75 UG 3000 IU. And um, they are in tiny little pearls of cold pressed olive oil 
And that's important because vitamin D is fat soluble. So you need to take vitamin D in an oil. And um, yeah, around 3000 IU a day would be recommended um, for the average uh, adult. And um, yeah, vitamin D will help calm down inflammation in the body. It'll help um, calm down the, um, the, the symptoms, the coughing, sneezing, the runny eyes. Um, but it's important to take it consistently. Like thing thing about supplements and that, people just don't take them um, consistently. So consistency is the key. And the other thing that um, you being an asthma sufferer, my brother has adult asthma and he, um, he supplements vitamin D and vitamin C as well. It's brilliant to support the immune system. And um, it's a powerful antiviral. It's a natural antihistamine. And um, if you combine it with selenium, like um, selenium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, they're all brilliant for your immune system. Um, but yeah, vitamin C, good, the, the vitamin D, Vitamin C, I'll be taking about three grams a day throughout the day to help with um, alleviate hay fever symptoms. And you spread it out basically because vitamin C won't stay in the body for, you know, any length of time. If you take a gram of vitamin C in the AM, it can be gone by lunchtime. So the protocol to help support and prevent um, hay fever symptoms would be to take your 3000 IU deep pearls in the morning, a gram of vitamin C then as well, a gram in, in the afternoon, early afternoon, and a gram in the evening. Um, and uh, you yourself with your asthma, are you um, are you managing that okay at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't need the, the inhaler as much. It's just more like, you know, if I get flu or symptoms, and unfortunately with, with the hay fever, it's not like with a cold or a flu, you can't get a, a vaccine against it if it happens that's just it it's just a matter of going to the gp before it gets too serious or it gets too full-on you know because the as i said the longer you leave it to go to the gp or get treatment the you know the the more of a hold it gets on you as well yeah well the other thing that you can do that is a really good um the really good hint to help um protect against hay fever is um source your natural beekeepers in the area if you start taking a teaspoon of raw honey um, from your local beekeeper now, you are, it's really potent, very powerful, um, anti-inflammatory, anti-viral, antihistamine, and that's going to help inoculate you against um, the local pollen in your area. So it's a really good tip for people. I'd always say to them, get friendly with your local beekeeper or go into your, all your health stores will have good raw honey. Um, just make sure it's from a local supplier and raw honey is the natural microbial and again that's a really clever thing to do and the other thing I would say to people coming into my clinic the magic spoon is um you mix raw honey with some apple cider vinegar like a, a tablespoon or so and you dilute it in warm water and you take that every morning that's a great natural decongestant and it's also going to um fight bacteria fungi and um viruses and it's going to help um, cleanse and heal um, the mucous membranes because with hay fever basically it's where your mucous membranes become inflamed and um, it's, it's known as allergic rhinitis as well and it's very uncomfortable but again instead of going for 
you know, the pharmaceutical drugs, which sometimes are necessary, I would go down the natural route first and foremost. So get your vitamin D into your vitamin C. The other thing you can take would be your omega-3. Um, now, are you a fish eater, Aiden? Yeah, I like, I like to have a bit of fish. I'm not, maybe not as much as I should be eating, but I suppose really it's, it's something I can start dressing now, start maybe getting a bit more fish into my yeah. diet but I suppose you see with the time of year now that it is as well uh, mm -hmm. you know people will start will be starting to mow the lawn of course we all know what that can cause you know the smell in the air and all that and the pollen and that and also yeah. like you know once once it gets into the summer then the far farmers mm -hmm. will be doing the hay hence the name hay fever I suppose but yeah. we start I, I suppose be at their peak. the what sorry that's when it'll be at its peak then around that time then, you know, when the farmers start doing the, doing the hay and that. Now is the time to just gather your arsenal of um, hay fever support and that, um, again, you can add in your omega-3s, which um, you obviously get from your oily fish like salmon and mackerel, but, you know, it's amazing how many people say they don't eat an awful lot of fish. I'm glad you do, but um, again, um, omega-3s are really important because they're anti-inflammatory. Um, things like krill oil, um, you know, if you're vegetarian, you can go for the forage oil and the flaxseed. Um, the other thing that's very um, handy, you were saying people like mowing the lawn, get a little bit of Vaseline and just rub it around the nostrils or even a little bit of Vicks because that's going to trap pollen. Um, and that's a, handy that's, a, that's a handy hint that I would say to people. And the other thing is that um, when you get into the house, um, just take off your shoes. And um, consider having something like a saline plus machine because they are brilliant for cleansing the air, and that would help you with your asthma as well, Aiden. If you're if you're yeah. um, comfortable, you just put them into the bedroom, get them on an hour or two before you go to bed, and they cleanse and purify the air. Or you know, even putting something like a bit of eucalyptus oil into a diffuser will do the same. So there's, there's lots of different things people can do, but um. There's no need to suffer unnecessarily. And um, I would always say to people coming into me in the magic spoon, if you're looking at your diet and if somebody has like a dairy intolerance or a gluten or wheat intolerance, that can make them more predisposed to developing hay fever because their immune systems are already under, um, under par. So I would do a bit of intolerance testing with them. And um, if anybody is prone to getting hay fever, I would be strongly recommending that they cut down on things like dairy if it's mucus forming and meat as well. And, you know, just up your, your, your good fruit and veg and your whole foods and, you know, cut back on the refined and processed foods as well. You know, there is something that um, is called an, an anti-allergy diet. Yeah, that's very good. And like, I suppose really there's different kind of, I suppose pe people are more prone to uh, prone to hay fever than others, and of course there's different severities. Some kind of have worse reactions than others as well, to, as well to it. But I suppose from the the point of view of people that go to you in your clinic, um, you know, mm -hmm. what do you find from the people that go to your clinic? Well, again, I'd be looking at what they're eating, and then I would be giving them some support, um, you know 
doing things like um, having some fresh pineapple in the morning is a good idea as well because pineapple contains bromelain and that is a natural antihistamine and anti-inflammatory. Again, getting any of um, you know, the berries, the oranges, um, bell peppers, things like that that have a high antioxidant content, I would be ramping that up in their diet as well. I would be looking at you know reducing the dairy, reducing the gluten, because again, they can aggravate um, allergic reactions. So there's a bit of leaky gut going on there, which is normally the case when people have um, a strong allergic reaction this time of year, I would be uh, looking at ways of healing that and be suggesting, you know, um, taking a good probiotic as well, because 80% of our immune systems are in our gut. And again, a lot of people's gut flora is out of whack. So, you know, again, there's lots of good probiotics out there. So it's about finding the one that's going to suit them in particular. And, uh, yeah, just cutting back on the sugar, cutting back on the alcohol and the coffee. Um, and, you know, if people are exercising outdoors, go out in the morning um, when the pollen count is low or go out early evening as well when the pollen count is low. And, um, you know, again, you just want to support yourself with your vitamin D, very important, and vitamin C. There's another good um, supplement this is a good combo with that as well. And that would be your quercetin. Um, quercetin is a natural bioflavonoid. And um, again, if you combine that with like your vitamin C and your vitamin D, you're giving yourself extra support. Um, but yeah, um, we love the Farminor Deep Pearls. They do very good omega-3 as well, which has a good um, EPA to DHA ratio and it's anti-inflammatory. So we would be recommending that. And, um, you know, again, just drink water because a lot of people are dehydrated and then your body can end up producing more histamine. So, and that can give you even stronger hay fever symptoms. And Irish people were great at drinking the teas, but tea is a, is a diuretic, so it's actually going to dehydrate you. So I'd be saying drink at least eight glasses of water a day and um, that's going to help detox your body and clear the nasal passages as well. That's it. And I suppose another thing, you know, the way nowadays, I think more and more people are kind of into their, into their spicy food, I suppose, like, you know, chicken curries mm -hmm. and vindaloo's mm -hmm. and all that. So I suppose from, mm -hmm. from that point of view, um, hay fever sufferers, can they continue to take them or would you advise against them or do, uh, does, does it actually help? Uh, with, with the hair well, fever to get rid of it? Really good question, because actually some spices are very beneficial. The likes of turmeric, um, the active ingredient is curcumin. That is a brilliant anti-inflammatory. Um, a lot of spices have a high antioxidant content as well. So I wouldn't be getting too worried about having spicy foods. It's just what are the other ingredients in that curry? Is that a curry that you're making yourself out of fresh ingredients? Or is it something you're getting down your local takeaway that, you know, ingredients mightn't be as um, nutritious as you'd want, depending on where the takeaway is, of course. Um, but yeah, yeah, just definitely raw foods, your fresh fruit, your fresh vegetables, you know, optimize your nutrition, optimize your gut health. Those are key elements. Cut down on the mucus 
um, forming foods like the dairy and too much meat and basically um, get as much fresh fresh fruit and veg into it as you can. Yeah, that's right, because I suppose really nowadays there's people, you know, there's a lot of people that are vegetarian and vegan and things, but now nowadays, you know, with it, there, there are a huge amount of options available with regards to spicy food where, you know, you can get your spicy food mm-hmm. kick, but still, you know, there are still a lot of options for vegetarians and vegans nowadays because I think, you know, shops and supermarkets are stocking a lot more vegan and vegetarian f- foods or ingredients that they that they can make that people can uh, create their own dishes at home yeah well it's all about having a balanced diet and um you know i i'm not strictly i'm, I'm very much plant-based but i do eat a little bit of animal pr- protein um it's all about what's going to suit your body and again um i would recommend that people buy organic because it's not sprayed in chemicals and it's grown in nutrient dense soil. Um, I would be sourcing protein well from, you know, a good butcher's where everything is traceable or, um, you know, sorry about that, Aiden, are a good, you know, our local farmers markets are good as well. Like there's a brilliant one in Rock Common on a Friday with fantastic fish there as well. So, you know, um, and it, you don't recognize ingredients on the back of a package, don't buy it. You know, there's so many additives and E numbers and emulsifiers and various things that are added into food these days. So, you know, just eat in a, in a conscious um, way and, and, you know, source your food well. And again, um, you know, as I said there a few minutes ago, hydrating yourself, like I would say to people, if you're crucified with a hay fever, you have it every year start preparing now get the raw honey get the your vitamin or deep pearls your omega-3s get your vitamin c um you know get your little repertoire uh, of um supportive supplements there start doing things like super smoothies in the morning to get better um vitamins and minerals into your system to support your immune system and cut down on the teas and coffees and start drinking things like herbal teas, you know, anything like peppermint or your green teas or your ginger or your chamomile. They're brilliant because they work as a natural decongestant and they will help flush out um, the toxins and calm down that the, the hay fever symptoms, the inflammation. And, um, you know, little things like that make a huge difference. And again, it's about just doing it and and being prepared and again hay fever again is very much a sign that your immune system is um is under par so you support your immune system by eating a healthy diet and cutting out the foods that we all know what's good for us and what isn't so um reduce the sugars and um the the alcohols and the um the coffees and just optimize your nutrition. Come and talk to somebody like me at The Magic Spoon. And that, you know, that's what I do. And you can check out themagicspoon.ie as well. There's lots of recipe bundles up there. There's lots of information on superfoods. There's lots of information on, you know, where to get stuff as well. People are always wondering, well, where can I get that particular ingredient? I give people shopping lists so they know where they can get the ingredients for recipes. And, um, Again, you don't you don't have to 
struggle with hay fever if you prepare properly. That's it, because I suppose really the key to, to eating as well, so, so you don't get bored with one particular dish, is maybe have a different dish every week or maybe once or twice a week, you know, like, because I suppose, you know, some people, they eat the same kind of things every day and then after a while, then you kind of get sick of that. So maybe something different each day with regards to a dish, I mean, either for lunch or for dinner in mm-hmm. the evenings mm-hmm. or something like that. It's good to kind of, have a variety of dishes mm-hmm. like throughout the week isn't it well that's what i um that's what i teach people i give them the recipes the tools the shopping lists as i said you can go up onto the magicspoon.ie there are lots of um they're called magic uh seven magic recipes and lunches wholesome hearty soups um gluten-free dairy-free dinners healthy snacks for kids um, you know, there's lots of different varieties of recipes up there and, you know, nothing that I do takes longer than 20, 30 minutes in the kitchen. So, and a lot of the different dishes can be, you know, if there's leftovers, they can be reinvented the next day into like a nice healthy gluten-free wrap. You know, there's lots of recipes for homemade hummus and pestos and, you know, it's, uh, the, 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 the information is there and, um, Again, I'm doing Zooms with the Magic Spoon at the moment. So you can book those on the site as well, magicspoon.ie. And hopefully we're going to be back open at some stage, Aidan. Um, looks like it's going to be the summer. What do you think? I, I think so. It's looking like that because I think people are getting sick of all this, uh, you, you know, the lockdown now. And I think it's it's uh, it's not good for people's, side, you know, their 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 mental well-being and things like that. And, you know, I think so. I think from, from a from kid's point of view as well now, because, you know, I've, speak, I've spoken to a lot of friends now that have kids and they're doing the homeschooling and they're working home from home mm-hmm. themselves. And the majority of the people that I've spoken to that have kids, the people themselves are sick of work from home. They, they actually miss the office environment or their working environment you know, interacting with the, the you know, their, yeah. their colleagues, but also from, from children's point of view as well, like, you know, they're at home, they're getting their work packed, their homework packs, and they're doing them at home, but it's not, it's not the same as interacting with the kids, and I suppose that no, it it's also for adults, mm-hmm. but also for kids as well, uh, you know, those, uh, those uh, mm-hmm. recipes that you're after saying there, they're, they're all, they're, they're all good for kids as well, not just adults, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, when it comes to kids, I don't put in, you know, the, the strong spices or I, I keep things simple, um, don't overcomplicate things. And, uh, you know, our two will, will eat like 90% of what I put in front of them. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's all about trial and error as well. And, you know, kids, their taste buds need to be stimulated. But, um, yeah, it, it, as you were saying there about homeschooling and all of that, like our, our two are back at crash and um school there in the last week or so um for the couple of days and it's it's just the headspace is incredible and um you know that's really important that you know for kids as well to see their friends at school and to have that um and for parents as well working from home very hard to do when you've little people who are you know constantly hungry (laughs) or demanding or you know all of that but the most important thing really is to, um, you know, cut down on things like comfort eating, get out for the walks, like what you're doing, really important for your mental health. Um, 
you know, doing the exercise as well, because that's going to boost endorphin release. And, um, and, you know, sitting in front of screens all the time is not healthy either. And there's a lot of, um, there's, there's going to be a huge um, deluge of various different from like from your point of view and um, physical ailments and, you know, from, from my point of view, nutritional issues that people will have had. And, um, you know, in people's mental health, it's very important to eat healthily as well to support your um your mood and uh, again back to vitamin d vitamin d is extremely good at alleviating mild to moderate depression so i would be recommending everybody not just the immune system but for mood as well to be taking the vitamin d and, and just make sure it's in oil and again that, that's why we like the d pearls because they are in the oil and um you know again just um definitely supplement wisely but get the good nutrition into you and if you don't know how to do it, come and see me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And you see, as well as that, like you just touched on it there with regards to, uh, you know, getting out and about. And I suppose that that's the thing with kids mm -hmm. as well. Uh, you know, on a normal year or whatever, you know, the um, I suppose the season starts for kids and adults around this time of year or at least the preseason mm -hmm. training would have happened. But, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose really since September last year, right up until there's been no there's been no sports locally you know for kids or or adults to do it and uh, so, so i mean for the walking yeah. but but it's not the same like when, when you're used to playing sport you're used to training with the lads or the girls or whatever uh whether you're depending whether you're yeah. or a man or a woman mm -hmm. or whatever or an adult or a child and um you know mm -hmm. you're used to doing the pre-season training and then also collective training and also playing matches, and there is none, none of that. So, I mean, unless you're the type that's uh, that that's that likes getting out about, and I know like walking is great, but from my, from my point of view now, being involved with Ballinagar Manor, and mm -hmm. of course two or two or three of my friends, you know, we're just just really mm -hmm. missing the whole thing of being involved with the club. You know, there's there's been we've had no match since September, and that kind of thing you look forward to it every week. And things like that, and yeah. uh, you know, it kind of affects you because you've nothing. It's kind of really nothing to look forward to. You don't know when it's going to be back, and that's kind of for all sports at local level, isn't it? Yeah. Well, again, you know, you have to just um, compartmentalize things and go. Well, this isn't great, but you know, my, my family and that's myself true. are well, and um, yeah. you know, um, this is the time for maybe a bit of inner reflection as well. You know, get some good books, do a bit of meditation, do some mindfulness call up some friends you haven't spoken to in a while, um, you know, plan something for when the lockdown is going to lift, do something to look forward to. That's a really good strategy for people, I find. And, um, you know, power of now, um, no point thinking about the future because the future hasn't happened yet yeah. and the past is gone. So very much just if you're starting to get anxious about, you know, various elements that you might be missing or, you know, worrying about things, just bring it back to the moment and just focus on where you are. And that's why I love um, cooking and preparing food because I find it so therapeutic. And the amount of people, my clients that have said to me, you know, it's so nice actually just preparing food with my other half, with the kids and having that downtime because we won't get this time back again in a way. I mean, 
there are lots of negatives to the lockdown, but there are some positives as well. So, um, and it's not going to last forever. You know, this can't go on for years and years, Aidan. It's going to be. And I have to say, from from my point of view as well, like the walking has really helped me, I suppose, mentally. Like, I'm kind of a a more relaxed person. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah. it's down to, you know, I, I, yeah. I can walk further distances. So before I started doing the walks, the 100 miles in a, mm-hmm. in a month thing, you know, I'd be only going like mm-hmm. a mile or two. And now, you know, a minimum yeah. would be five miles. So, you know, I, I just find, you know, it's a great way of kind of, I suppose, getting things off your chest or kind of clearing the mind, I suppose, um, you know. Yeah, and you know, your fit, your fitness levels as well. Yeah. You you must be you must be super fit now as well. If you're doing like the, are you doing five miles a day? Well, that that'd be kind of a minimum, yeah. So it's it's uh, because I suppose really it's the different distances. You know, I started off doing kind of the one hundred miles in a month. So like some days I do mm-hmm. five, other days I do eight, seven. You know, so but I had to get like you know and doing you one. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Are you sticking to the same routine or do you mix uh, it up a bit or are you walk, you're walking with other people or are you yeah, walking on your own? Or yeah, myself you and I may go for a walk, you know, like, um, but we do it like Monday, Tuesday, take a break Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then off Saturday and Sunday. Now at the weekend, I might go for a walk on a Saturday or a Sunday, um, but it's just great to yeah. clear the head and help kind of go through things in my head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you feel a lot better after it. But you say when I was training yeah, in January, thing, it was like walk today, off tomorrow, mm-hmm. walk the day after, you know, so it was every second day. But okay. when the thing actually happened, mm-hmm. you know, you have to get up the mile. Mm-hmm. So doing it every second day doesn't count. So and that that's kind of where it was good to push me, you, you know, and there was one route we did one day and, um, you know, I, I was taking several breaks throughout, of, throughout, you know, for the first time. And then the next day I did it, I did it mm-hmm. half the mm-hmm. time. So because I was used to it, and the, I suppose by by the time mm-hmm. we did we did it the second time, I was a bit more fit. I was a bit fitter, like you said. So, you know, it's it's a, a high. But you know, you're 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 doing yourself a great service there because you're getting out in fresh air. You're um, exercising your body. You're doing it with a friend as well, and you know, the the weather is going to start improving soon as well, so people can get outside. And again, back to the hay fever, really important to stock up on those supplements now and the little tricks like the Vaseline and Saline Plus machines. And even um, uh, my, my other half suffered, suffered some sinuses or he, we did, he's, he's sorted out now, but um, the salt the salt pipes are good as well. And they might be great for you if, if, you're, if you have any issues with the asthma, but it sounds like you have it, yeah. you have it sorted. But, um, definitely just stocking up on a couple of clever things now and um, that's going to save people a lot of discomfort later so yeah so I say from like April May onwards we might be back into that good weather and you know there'll be even more people out walking and getting exercise and um, hopefully like you know things will resume normality by the summertime please god um we can't put hope (laughs) well that's it well listen thanks very much for uh doing the uh covering hay fever this week and we look forward to talking to you again next week pleasure no problem thanks very much lovely listen enjoy your walk today aiden and i'll talk to you soon bye thanks very much there helen and that was helen from the magic spoon
myself Aidan Raffrey unfortunately we have come to the end of the show uh, of this week's Sport Pulse uh, we'd like to thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed all the interviews and the music and that, that we've had on this week's show and we'll hope, we hope you'll uh, we hope you'll tune in again next week from we'll do it all over again from 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock and don't forget to stay tuned in tune in to uh Ross FM every day, Monday to Friday, from from nine o'clock in the morning right through until seven o'clock in the evening, where there is a wide range of very good shows, something for everyone, with a wide range of genres of music from blues, jazz, eighties, seventies music, um, you know, eighties music, nineties music, right up to the modern day. There's country, there's uh, American country music, country music, you name it, we have it all on here. There's 
the breakfast show as well every morning and of course there's three sports shows obviously uh you know Ross Sports View on Wednesdays six to seven. We're coming GA Memories with myself and Mar and uh, Ray Lannan on Thursday mornings ten o'clock until eleven and of course Sport Pulse with myself in Raftery uh, every Friday every Friday from ten to eleven. You can listen to the shows live on www.rossfm.ie forward slash live or on the TuneIn app. And if you can't listen to them live. Don't worry because the shows are all, most of the shows, uh, all my shows are, the sports shows are uh, podcasted and available on www.rossfm.ie. So thank you very much for tuning in and until next week, bye.